This coverage is live and uncensored, so if you have any small children present, you may want to have them leave the room. What's up, what's up? My Take Radio, episode 88 for Thursday, April 21st, 2011. The intro music you just heard was Street Fighter II, Frets of Fury, and the artist was Vertex Guy. You can download that and any of the other previously used intro music at ocremix.org. The letter O, the letter C, remix.org. The caller number is 347-324-3541. Again, that caller number is 347-324-3541. All right. Last week, of course, we were joined by Kung Lee with a really great interview. I had a blast talking to him about all his upcoming projects. I'm definitely looking forward to Dragon Eyes and his upcoming martial arts film with RZA. Uh, all great projects as a, as a martial arts movie buff. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing these, especially with what he was saying in regards to throwbacks like the Shaw Brothers classics and just bringing a resurgence of martial arts films to the main stage again, especially with the inclusion of so much MMA now. It's really nice to see it being spotlighted once again. And considering all the shit that Hollywood's been cranking out as of late, it's definitely a welcome addition for sure. All right. Got to get some housekeeping out of the way. Um, we are changing the ads probably within the next two weeks. Um, you are going to start seeing some different ads for a couple of other uh, sites and companies. Been working on some stuff with them. They would hopefully be finalized next week, and you'll start seeing some ad space uh, pop up and a couple of different ads from a few different things. Rest assured, the ads will not be intrusive, and they will be brands and services that are used and useful to the to the MTR audience. I am in no way, shape, or form going to promote Viagra or breast enlargement creams or any of that other horse shit. It's all going to be stuff that uh, relates to all the topics that are covered on MTR, so be on the lookout for that. The forums have been doing really well. I actually went in there and saw some great conversation, especially regarding Edge's retirement. In addition to that, there was a very amusing thread about the Justice League porn parody that I found quite amusing. Uh, so definitely, if you want to join in on some conversation, hit up our forums. It's mytakeradio.com slash forums. Check that out. Our Facebook fan page, we are well on our way to 900 fans. I smell a 1,000 fans sooner rather than later. Uh, do yourselves a favor. If you're a fan of the show, check it out. It's facebook.com slash mytakeradio. Our content partners, as always, this week in wrestling podcast and MMA Valor have been providing great content, including an article from this week in wrestling podcast for the TNA lockdown pay-per-view that I will be discussing this evening. And, of course, you can always count on MMA Valor to deliver uh, either some solid fight predictions or a solid article, so be on the lookout for that. 
There should be an article later on this weekend also from the crew at Gamer Fit Nation discussing the UFC personal trainer for the Connect. They actually got some hands-on time with it, and they were gracious enough to share that content with us. So you will be seeing that at some point tonight or before the week is out. So be on the lookout for that. Our T-shirts are actually in a brand-new redesign process finally. I'm actually sending some stuff to a very talented artist that I know that's going to check it out and she will enlighten us with her designs as well, just to give MTR a fresh coat of paint, so to speak. You will see the familiar uh, tribal-style MTR logo. You will see the boombox with all that stuff. But there's going to be a couple of other designs and things as well. They will be priced competitively. I'm not trying to beat people over the head, but shit isn't cheap. So just letting you guys know that in advance. Our apps on Android and in the iTunes store can be picked up for $1.99. You can have MTR with you round the clock, get access to all your favorite shows. In addition, we will be adding exclusive content. I will be adding an interview later on within the, I'd say within the next two weeks, that's going to be exclusive to app users only. And it's going to be a surprise for a lot of wrestling fans that are going to enjoy it. So be on the lookout for that. And next week I will be joined for a UFC 129 panel by the guys from Pure Fight Gear, a great non-for-profit organization uh, that assists MMA fighters. Definitely going to be a pleasure to have those guys on. I've been trying to get that done for a while now, and we finally got a great day to do it. So they'll be not only talking about their organization, but they will also be sharing their thoughts on UFC 129. I'm also going to be joined by Gary Friedman from MMA Gospel, who you've heard on here a couple of times. He's going to be lending his expertise, and we will be joined by ONA favorite and MMA fan Robert Kelly. He will be my guest as well on the panel next week, so expect a lot of laughs and a lot of MMA-centric talk. So for those of you that uh, don't follow MMA closely, I still recommend you guys check out next week's show. Robert Kelly is hilarious. He opens for Dane Cook. He is He's definitely a, a real funny motherfucker, and I'm excited to talk to him next week and hear his thoughts on the sport being from Boston and having access to MMA up there and the and the huge popularity up there, I definitely want to pick his brain a little bit. So be on the lookout. That will be for our UFC panel next week. Uh, the first week of May, I will be joined by the crew from Supremacy MMA. I actually wrote an article about the game a couple of weeks back, which, you know, I definitely was not a fan of their presentation given the fact that we're trying to mainstream the sport. And I thought that the game, or you know, put the sport in a negative light, but I had the opportunity to email them and share my thoughts with them, and they really would like to come on the show and discuss it. And as always, I, I why not? Let's definitely hear what they have to say. Maybe they're looking at it from a perspective that I may have missed, or maybe we can just meet in the middle and have a happy medium. But I definitely want to know, you know, what motivated those guys to create a game like that. I do have to give them kudos for acknowledging female MMA fighters. I may see if the women, uh, the female fighters that are involved in the game can join those guys. That's something that I'll be putting together, but be on the lookout for that the first week of May. We're also going to have the guys from the Deadliest Warrior back, hopefully in May as well. So May is going to be a great month for MTR, and there's a lot of crazy shit going on, so definitely stick around for the journey. Last but not least, um, I want to promote a local event here in New York. It's a gaming event. It's going to be taking place on uh, here in Queens, and it's going to be at Arena. It's a uh, game. It's a video game tournament from 12 to 6. 
with a $20 entry fee and a $5 re-entry fee. If you just want to go be a guest and check it out, it's 5 bucks, and there's going to be cash prizes, and you're also going to be able to bet on some of the uh, games that are going on. There's going to be Tekken 6, Fight Night Champion, NBA 2K11, Madden, and Marvel vs. Capcom 3. If you'd like to check it out and you're here in New York and are uh, in the Queens area or want to venture out to Queens and check it out, send a tweet to SkateHero202 on Twitter. It's SkateHero, H-E-R-O, the number 202 on Twitter. So check him out if you're interested in participating or just would like to attend the event and cover it for your local site here in New York City. So definitely check that out. All right, here's a rundown of tonight's topics. We're going to talk about the Ultimate Fighter. I've been slacking only because we've had so many guests and so much stuff has been going on. My coverage of the Ultimate Fighter has kind of slipped through the cracks. I have been watching it. I I have mixed reactions on this season. While I do like the coaching styles of Brock Lesnar and Junior Dos Santos, I just don't feel that the, the, the – not to say that the fighters aren't good, but there's just not – there's something missing. I don't know if it's just the way the show is being taped or something to that extent. It's just not not where I, where I needed to be as a viewer from previous seasons, but we'll get into that. I want to talk about Monday Night Raw. I want to talk about TNA's lockdown pay-per-view and a, a very shocking release from TNA that I want to discuss. We got video game news. We got movie news. And not only that, but I got a really bugged-out piece of what-the-fuck news that's going to just freak you guys out, especially when you hear what it is. But before I get into all that, as I said, I try to discuss some stuff that's going on in the world today. And in, in, I guess you could call it an opening monologue. If you want to call it that, that's fine. Um, something that was brought to my attention, and I actually saw it on Twitter, it was posted by Henzo Gracie, and it's been popping up in a couple of other places. And it re- And it's regarding schools outlawing games like Tag, uh, games like dodgeball, because they consider these these games dangerous or detrimental to our youth. I don't understand how dangerous a game of tag can be, whether it's regular tag or freeze tag or dodgeball. I understand that dodgeball, yeah, it's a little bit vicious. There, there's a little bit of picking on the smaller opponents, but I just feel that the fact that Schools are taking the opportunity to go out of their way, and politicians are involving themselves to outlaw all these these games, these childish games that we've played as kids because they were not good for our youth today. I don't understand where the fuck they come up with that. I feel that it's complete and utter horseshit. Uh, again, this just continues to be the sugarcoating of our youth, just wrapping them up in fucking tissue paper and making them oh so delicate. It, it's amazing. It's amazing how far we've fallen as a society and it's it's insane it's as a, as a kid yeah dodgeball you were right if you were the chubby kid if you were the little kid you were an easy target but you know what you also learned to defend yourself possibly be fast there were different things that were involved and not only that but the game is innocent if you want to focus on something focus on bullying Bullying in general is fucked up, but it, uh, but it also has a part to play in the fact that our children are being made soft. It, it's, it's, it bugs me in particular. I mean, I was the chubby kid in school. I was the short kid in school. And, you know, you get picked on. You get made fun of. You either take it in stride and 
defend yourself, whether it's verbally or physically, or you continue to play the role of victim. For me, seeing that, it's unfortunate. I read I read an article earlier today that was really un, that was really heartbreaking about two 15 year old girls that had a slumber party and they um, committed suicide. They actually planned it to have a slumber party together and they hung themselves because they were uh, subject to exclusion and bullying. When bullying gets to the point where kids have to commit suicide, it, it's it's a tragic tragic thing. It bugs the shit out of me just because. It, there's underlying factors. Bullying isn't isn't the only factor, but it's just fucked up. And why instead of focusing on tag and and all those childish games that we played, why don't you fucking concern yourselves with with shit like that, with 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 things like that that are going on in schools every day. Kids get picked on for religious reasons, uh, different race, uh, different the way they dress, the way they look. Some kids just psychologically aren't prepared for that for a multitude of reasons. I grew up pretty much in a trial-by-fire household where, you know, my mother said, if somebody hits you, you hit them back. If they're bigger than you and they hit you, you grab a chair, you hit them back. You know, if they make fun of you, you beat their ass. It, it's that simple. It, it, you you learn to defend yourself at a young age, and I'm just not seeing that. I don't see that confidence instilled in a lot of today's youth. You know, it's very easy to hide behind text messages, Facebook, the Internet, to either verbally berate or verbally attack somebody. Many of you that know me for real, if I if I got to say something to you, I'll say it whether it's to your face, on a keyboard, over the air. I don't give a shit. I, I think that it, it's just very disheartening, and I just wanted to bring that out there because it's something that's been popping up a lot this week for different reasons, and it, it's unfortunate, you know, I. As as somebody who you know, got picked on as a kid, I don't I don't feel that killing yourself is is the is the way out. But I also don't feel that you should sit there and take it. There's other avenues to defend yourself. That's it. Whether it's talking to a counselor or talking to a parent or talking to an adult, you know, to another adult. Whether it's somebody picking on you and you and you hit them back or taking self defense and and improving yourself and building up confidence. That's it. Don't don't mask your pain. If if you're if you're a kid and you're being bullied, definitely talk to somebody. Don't mask that shit. Don't let it consume you to the point where you have to take your life and you're gonna end up hurting a lot more people than you think. And your tormentors will be hurt for a little bit, but guess what? They'll forget about you and you'll be an afterthought and they'll move on. That's my uh, that's my little real world monologue for today. So with that, let's uh, talk some MMA because a lot of stuff has been going on. And one thing in particular that has jumped out in my eyes is the just the smaller organizations definitely stepping their game up to, you know, they, they're going out of their way now to become more of a force. So I definitely want to discuss that. And I also want to discuss what's going on with UFC 129 with Jake Shields and George St. Pierre. It's really getting crazy, and it's getting to the wire. Next week, we're going to find out, you know, if, if all the talk that Jake Shields has, if he can go in there and really choke out George St. Pierre, or if George St. Pierre is just going to grind himself out another victory. We'll, we'll either we'll put it like this. Will GSP be a victim to Jake Shields' Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? We're going to find that shit out next week. 
you know, you can watch all the UFC prime times. You can watch all the tape. You can debate it all you want. When that cage door closes, we're going to find out who's the best, period. Let's get into some MMA. Of course, we got the Ultimate Fighter this week, and like I said, it's been a little, it's been a, a very interesting journey. I also heard from the chat, not to veer off for a second, that the sound effect is a little scratchy. I got to find out what the deal is with that. I don't know why it's not playing the way it should, but that's something else to discuss. All right. As I was saying with, um, with this week's Ultimate Fighter. I, like I, I said at the opening of the show, I, I've been watching the season from, from episode one, and I just, I, I feel either, it maybe it's just because the guys aren't projecting personas like in past seasons where you kind of saw the Junie Brownings, the Chris Levens, uh, the Bobby Southworth, uh, characters, Josh Koscheck, those guys, they they found ways to stick out, whether it was by being the villain or being the Joker. It was it was something that added a little extra. Of course, you had those other seasons where the coaches became the focal point. You know, uh, great examples are Shamrock and Tito, Rashad and Rampage. Um, even Rampage and Forrest Griffin, to a degree, kind of went in that direction. I don't think at this point we can capture the magic of past seasons, whether it's coaching or with fighters, because fighters at this point know how the show works and they know what to do and how to play the game to either stay on TV and get more TV time or to connect with the viewers on a different level. This season, again, I continue to stress the fact that they don't seem to be doing that. Now, it could be because they want to focus more on the fights themselves. But I think one big thing that didn't help the start of this season is that they didn't go out of their way to make you want to, they didn't go out of their way to make you want to give a shit about the guys going into the house. In the old seasons, you would have to fight your way into the house. And that was pretty much the way you wanted to go. This, in this particular instance, it seems like they're going for the, not to say that they're going for the gusto, but that they're going for the, you know, they're going more for the, um, just for the main fights. The, one of the, when they did the seasons where you would fight your way into the house, those first two episodes were ridiculous because those were the guys that left it all out there to get into the house. The guys that have kind of been not handed the opportunity, but just been told, hey, you're in the house now. It just didn't work for me the way I thought. I felt that the concept of them fighting their way in was 
was a positive and not a negative. But let's get into this week's episode. Um, this was episode four, and, you know, they opened up with, you know, Len Bentley, and he was, you know, he wasn't happy about losing, and he was really hoping that he would be a wild card submission. Team Lesnar has four fighters that have yet to fight, and, you know, he's calling them apropos the four horsemen. And, you know, Brock Lesnar made sure to go out of his way to focus on the fact that, you know, Team Dos Santos was going to be picking, it was, it was probably going to pick Clay Harvison next. Um, but Clay, of course, seems to be the focus of this episode. Brock felt that his head wasn't in the wasn't in the training session, so that was definitely brought about, and it's going to play a factor. Fight selections came in. Junior Dos Santos actually ended up picking uh, Ramsey Najem, who is one of the best wrestlers on the team. He's going to be facing Charlie Rader. Uh, I'm surprised that they didn't go with Clay Harvison, given the fact that they were kind of focusing on on him in the beginning. They had to throw a little bit of pop culture reference in there with Ramsey talking about that he's a big fan of Glee. Um, of course, they show a couple of training sessions. Matt Hughes come by. Matt Hughes visits to roll with Team Sarah. Um, Matt Hughes, of course, comes in, and I like when the guest coaches come in just because you get to see a really genuine appreciation for these guys and their contributions to the sport. I really admire the fact that the fighters look up to these guys even though they're actively trying to go in there and may face them at one point or another. And it's it's really refreshing to see that, and it shows that no matter what sport or what profession you're involved in, if you meet somebody who's successful in that p- profession and you're a fan of their work, it, being genuine and showing it is, 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 the, is the greatest feeling, especially when somebody tells you, hey, you know, I'm a fan of yours, or I like watching you fight, or I like watching you wrestle, those are really great things to hear. I, I particularly like that. One thing that bugs me is that sometimes these guys go, yeah, well, you know, I can, I can smash Matt Hughes. And it's like, dude, you just got into the house. And I'm not using Matt Hughes as the example because it happened this episode, but there have been previous episodes where guys are like, you know, I could, I could beat that guy or whatever. And it's like, dude, you're not even in the organization yet. You're on a, you're on a show. Moving on, got to get off the tangent a little bit. We go into the weigh-ins, and both guys weigh 170. Uh, solid, definitely solid fight. A little bit slow opening in the beginning with Ramsey being a bit more of the aggressor. It turns out that Ram- that Raider, Charlie Raider was on the offensive. I mean, was on the defense most of the round. Uh, Ramsey definitely more aggressive. Round two, though, a lot of, a lot of great um, avoidance tactics by... Ramsey from Raider. Raider was throwing some wild punches. Ramsey shot him, boom, with a big takedown. And Ramsey gained control, snatched that back, took about 30 seconds or so, and just like that, rear naked choke, Raider was tapping with the quickness. So Ramsey in the gem moves on with a submission in round two. Brock Lesnar, of course, they cut to him. He said that he knew that Ramsey was going to win the fight, and he saw it in his eyes before he stepped to the cage. Lesnar called Charlie's performance a bad dream. It was it was really really crazy. Lesnar tosses a stool into the octagon, <laughs> which is uh, definitely not good. Brock Lesnar continued to beat up on his team verbally by saying that they look like chicken shit. Len Bentley did not like that rant because he fought his heart out and he stormed out of the locker room. So thus far, Len Bentley's been eliminated. Charlie Raider's been eliminated. Uh, Miles Jury was out with an injury. Uh, Norton was eliminated. 
Lesnar only has left is Tony Ferguson, Clay Harvison, Chris Cope, and Chuck O'Neill. On the uh, on Dos Santos side, you got Shamar Bailey, uh, McLevray, Ramsey, Zach Davis, Michael Bowman, Keon Caldwell wanted to go home, and Justin Edwards. Next week, they kind of play up on the fact that Chris Cope might be a double agent and they're previewing that an injury may force a quarterfinalist out of the game. So, again, picking up steam, maybe it just needed to get five episodes under the belt before it picked up steam, but a solid episode overall. I really enjoyed it. I like Brock Lesnar's coaching style. You almost would expect him to be a lot harder on these guys, and he is to an extent, but... I guess uh, just as a wrestling fan, I'm expecting to see crazy Brock Lesnar in there, you know, WWE, larger-than-life Brock Lesnar, and not Coach Brock, which is a little strange to see, but nonetheless, a a good, a solid episode. I'm really intrigued on what happens next week and who's going to be out with an injury. Like I said, it's picking up steam, but it's not where I've, I've found past seasons to be. But let's talk about some other MMA news. First off, I want to extend some some kudos to the UFC. They they announced recently a partnership with the Jump for Joy Foundation and the Boys and Girls Club of Las Vegas to begin a campaign for exercise and physical fitness. Um, They actually had an event recently. Reed Harris was there, and he said that they had more than 100 kids. They went through drills with them. They had a whole bunch of different stations set up to show them how to box how to keep their hands up. Tyson Griffin was on hand teaching kids double leg takedowns, and the kids really enjoy it, and they responded very well. I, I want to say that this, is, this almost is a throwback to when physical fitness was a big thing. You know, you had the Arnold Schwarzenegger Physical Fitness Award. I remember a lot of schools having that and a lot of schools focusing on more athletics and different diverse programs. And it, it's very refreshing to see the organization, you know, the UFC involved in something like that, just because it it seems I haven't, and I could be wrong, but I haven't really seen a lot of major organizations do stuff like that. I know that they do charity things for the kids, but just having camps and stuff like that are great gateways to not only create future fighters or future athletes for, for, for our country, but also it, it, it gives kids a, another outlet. It's not just, you know, Facebook and Farmville, and video games, and, and text messaging, and IM, and shit, you know, it's going out there, and enjoying competition, whether it's on a football field, on a baseball field, or in the octagon, I think that programs like that are great, and seeing the UFC involving themselves is a step in the right direction, and not only that, it's, it's great for the organization, it's showing that it's a stepping stone to allow kids to definitely have other avenues besides wanting to be the, the, the atypical football player or a basketball player. You, you might start seeing kids saying, hey, I want to be the next GSP, or hey, I want to be uh, the next Matt Hughes or the next Hoist Gracie. Re- really great stuff, and I'm, I'm, I'm very proud to see that the UFC is involved in that. This coming weekend, we got some MMA coming up from Bellator. That's going to be this Saturday on MTV2. It's going to be Bellator 42. Uh, the original main event was going to be Cole Conrad versus Paul Buentello. Unfortunately, Paul Buentello had a back injury and had to withdraw from the fight 
As such, Cole Conrad was also removed from the card. So instead, we're going to be getting Tim Carpenter uh, versus Christian Mufundu, and that's going to be a light heavyweight tournament semifinal. You got Richard Hale and DJ Linderman. That's a light heavyweight tournament semifinal also. You got Joshua Rocho and Ronnie Mann, and also Luis Nogueira and Gerard Spoon on your main card. On the prelims, you got Chris Bell and Jared Hess, Shane Howell and uh, Marco Shiro. You got Owen Evinger and Brandon Shelton. And also added to the card is a heavyweight bout between Chris Guillen and Mark Halata. So definitely great, nice, solid card from Bellator as always. If you haven't had the opportunity to check out Bellator, I recommend you check it out. If you have MTV2, you can just tune into your local guide and check out it. I think it's usually 9 o'clock. And I know they do a repeat viewing, but I believe it's it's 9 o'clock Saturdays or 10 o'clock, but it's usually around that hour. I don't have the guide in front of me, and everybody's guide is a little different based on their provider, but definitely check them out. Bellator needs the support. The viewership is, is – the numbers are solid, and they're really good, but they could be better. So even if you DVR it, check it out. Help the organization. We need smaller organizations to get – get the spotlight and help grow the sport more. Not to say that I want to take anything away from the UFC and Strike Force, but smaller organizations help create fighters and household names. We need them. They're not only uh, great for exposure and for fighters to become professionals, but also it's a great way to have people partake in MMA without having to spend, you know, $500 to see a UFC fight. So just something that I got to throw out there, especially with Bellator. So if you if you can support them, definitely check them out. In some UFC news, they started putting together the card for UFC 134 in Rio. That's going to be taking place August 27th. The main event is going to be Anderson Silva against Yushin Okami for the middleweight title. You got Forrest Griffin and Shogun too. Edson Barboza and Ross Pearson was announced. You got Luis Kane and Stanislav Nedkov. You got Spencer Fisher and Diago Tavares also on that card. Definitely a solid card with the UFC's return to Brazil. I'm looking forward to seeing Anderson Silva and Yushin Okami. Um, Okami's been a guy that's always been kind of knocking on the door of of a title of a title fight, and he finally gets the opportunity. So it's really great to see that it's going to be happening for the fans in Rio. At the UFC press conference on the 19th, Randy Couture announced that after his fight with Leona Machida, win, lose, or draw, he will be retiring. Um, of course, Randy Couture is a fucking legend. I think he could probably fight until he's 70, but I respect the fact that he wanted to retire on his own terms. He wanted to go out the way he went out. There's a lot of people, especially on Twitter, that have been very vocal about the fact that his retirement fight isn't against somebody, I don't know, a bigger name or somebody with more clout, but I respect what Randy Couture is doing because he said he wanted to, to test himself against some a different type of an opponent. And Leona Machida fits that between, you know, his elusive style and, you know, his prowess with karate. It should be interesting to see if the grinder offense of Randy Couture comes into play, especially with the great fence work that he does in terms of keeping opponents on the fence and using the fence as another weapon in his arsenal. It should be interesting if he can bully Leona Machida into doing that, and I honestly look forward to seeing Couture win this fight. A lot of people are kind of writing him off, but it would be nice to see him win and go out, go out into the, go off into the sunset with, with a victory as opposed to a loss. So, 
I mean, Lyoto Machida losing to Randy Couture isn't going to hurt Machida. Randy Couture is a fucking legend, and you're you're fighting a guy who was basically one of the cornerstones that built the mixed martial arts scene here in the United States. So, Randy Couture, I you know, on behalf of MTR, thank you for giving us so many great fights. One of my favorites being you dismantling Tim Sylvia, favorite fight of mine. And even though you lost your fight with Brock Lesnar, was badass considering that he outweighed you and he was bigger than you are, but you showed a ton of fucking heart. So thanks for everything, Captain America. And we wish you the best in whatever you do. He actually said in the press conference that I think it's time to focus on other things I have going on in my life after the fight. He said it's an ongoing transition for me. I kind of want to go out on my own terms and decide when enough is enough, and I think that time has come. So, again, Godspeed, Randy Couture. Thanks for giving us so many great memories. In some other UFC news, they are actually putting together UFC on Versus 4, and that's going to be taking place in Pittsburgh, PA, June 26th. What a great birthday present for me. Um, at Pittsburgh's Consoles Energy Center. The, some of the fights on the card, you got Anthony Johnson welcoming Nate Marquardt, uh, which is going to be fantastic. I, I believe that's going to be the main event, and it's going to be a fucking electric fight that has fight of the night written all over it, especially if they stand and trade. Anthony Johnson may go into wrestling like he did against Dan Hardy. I doubt it. Nate Marquardt has a good takedown defense, and it's going to be a great um, fight against two of the best 170-pounders for sure. Pat Barry and Chet Congo is your co-main event I've been hearing. I don't know how true that is, but as of this episode, it is. Pat Barry and Chet Congo is going to be ridiculous. I'm a huge Pat Barry fan. That guy has some of the best leg kicks in the game. He he dismantles guys. Just dismantle. If you think that you're going to sit there and check kicks from Pat Barry, you are out of your fucking mind. And I think against Chet Congo, it's going to be a great stand-up war. I have... Zero feeling that these guys are going to take that fight to the ground. They're just going to stand and beat the fuck out of each other. And you know what? I'm all for it. Matt Mitrione and Christian Moorcraft will be on that card. John Howard and Martin Kempman. You got Rich Antonino and Matt Brown. Manny Gambirian and Tyson Griffin. Joe Lazan and Kurt Warburton. Joe Stevenson and Javier Vasquez. Matt Grease and Ricardo Lamas. And Edward Falota versus uh, Ultimate Fighter standout Michael Johnson. So. Great, solid fight. Great, Well, overall, great night of solid fights on Versus. Again, more free MMA. If you got it, definitely check that shit out. June 26th is your date. If you're in Pittsburgh, Console Energy Center is the spot. Uh, props to De Silva. He says he's going to try and check a kick from Pat Barry next weekend. Um, I somehow doubt that. But if you desire to have a full leg cast De Silva, by all means, have at it. I will gladly autograph it for you. DK Publishing announced that they will be publish, uh, producing a 400-page UFC encyclopedia, which is going to be released in October. The book is going to cover the organization's full 18-year history, and it's going to be penned by UFC.com's editorial director and veteran boxing writer Thomas Gerbasi. Mike Degler, who is the publisher of the UFC encyclopedia, had, uh, gave a really great statement in regards to the book. He said, we began discussing a project of this scale with the UFC a few years ago, and we're thrilled that we are finally able to bring a book like this to life for MMA fans. The UFC has an incredibly rich 18-year history, and we have been given unprecedented access to all of it. The UFC encyclopedia will be a must-have for every MMA fan, as well as an informative and comprehensive tribute to the world's fastest-growing sport. 
I will be picking that shit up for sure. I may even drop a little email to DK Publishing to see if we could talk to Tom Gerbasi and see if we could get him on the show. I, I really would love the opportunity to get my hands on that sooner, but we'll see what happens. Either way, I'm still buying it because that would be a great, that's a great coffee table book to have, and it, it's just a great discussion piece for MMA fans. In some dream news, they have announced that they will be doing a Bantamweight Grand Prix, which begins May 29th. It's going to be Dream 17. It's going to be taking place at the Saitama Super Arena in Saitama, Japan. No U.S. broadcast plans have been announced as of yet. The first and second round of the tournaments will take place on May 29th, and the final round is scheduled for July. The top three finishers of the, to of the tournament will get spots in a planned Dream World Bantamweight Grand Prix later this year. Some of the opening matches that were announced are Yoshiro Maeda versus Hideo Takoro. You got uh, Darren, wow, I'm going to mess up this guy's name, Uyen Yama. I, I hope that's right. Atushi Yamamoto versus Atushi Yamamoto. Uh, Kenji Osawa and Takafumi Otsuka will also be fighting. And Keisuke Fujiwara and uh, Masakazu Imanari will also be fighting on that card. If you haven't seen Japanese MMA and the spectacle that it is, I recommend you check it out. Dream puts on great shows. I'm sincerely hoping that they make an announcement to put it on HDNet because it, it, it'll definitely be a great welcoming party for Japanese MMA for those of you that haven't seen it. Um, I got exposure to Dream a while back and to K1, and I got to tell you, it's, it's a totally different presentation, but just as enjoyable as any UFC or Strike Force show. In some other UFC news, John Fitch has learned that the shoulder injury he sustained in his last fight with BJ Penn will be requiring surgery, and it's going to keep him out of action for six months. He actually released a statement. He said, I'm going to have to get my labrum worked on. I also have a tear of one of my rotator cuff muscles, and that's going to need to be repaired as well. When asked how bad the shoulder was, he said that the shoulder is functional. I can move around and do stuff with it. I could probably even fight with it. But going through a camp and going through six-hour days of workouts, eventually it's going to break down. I don't think I would get through a full fight camp without it breaking down completely. When asked about fighting BJ Penn when he returns, he said that it's the best fight for each of us. I think it would be dumb for either of us to take a fight with anybody else but each other before we settle it. Either me or BJ would love to to fight the winner of Jake Shields and GSP, but I think it's realistic that if Jake wins that fight, there will be a rematch. If GSP wins that fight, he only fights a couple of times a year, so he'll probably take a, a break, and there will be time for Penn and me to fight. If GSP moves up to fight Anderson, there's still time for him to do that, and me and for me and BJ to fight, there's a ton of other options. I hope I hope it works out favorably for me, but I can't ask the world to stop turning just because I have an injury. Got to respect that. I wish uh, John Fitch a speedy recovery. Definitely needs to be a resolution between him and BJ Penn, considering the way that fight went. I'd want to see it. A lot of people aren't fans of John Fitch because of his style. As I've watched more MMA over the couple of months, I understand the logistics in regards to winning fights. And where people go in there to win, sometimes you're going to have exciting fights, sometimes you're not. But at the end of the day, it's all about getting your hand raised. A lot of the same commentary is put out there for Ben Askren, who fights for Bellator, about, you know, using that smothering offense that he uses and using his wrestling as his main advantage. And, and you know what? Some people just aren't fans of that and are fans of, of the stand-up. And if that's the case and you can't, appreciate the full in its entirety from start to finish, then watch K1. 
That's what you should do. You want to see some some stand-up wars? Watch some K1 kickboxing, and your stand-up war quota will be met. I guarantee you. UFC 129, like I said, is, is next Saturday, and they've broken down the matches. Your preliminary card on Facebook is going to be Claude Patrick and Daniel Roberts, um, Ivan Menjavar and Charlie Valencia, Jason McDonald and Ryan Jensen, John McDessey and Kyle Watson, Pablo Garza and E. Javudin. And on the preliminary card for Spike TV, you've got Nate Diaz and Rory McDonald, which is definitely fight of the night. Jake Ellenberger and Sean Pearson. And, of course, for pay-per-view, you got Mark Bocek versus Ben Henderson, Katurin Machida, Jason Brills, and Vladimir Matyshenko, uh, Jose Aldo and Mark Hominick for the featherweight strap, and GSP and Jake Shields for the welterweight belt. So UFC 129, the Facebook fights, they start at 6 p.m. Eastern. The spike prelims start at 8. And UFC 129, of course, will start probably at 9 o'clock. If, if I remember correctly, I think the early start times do start with UFC 129, so 9 o'clock will be the start on pay-per-view. Last bit of MMA news to wrap things up, Dana White announced that Yoshihiro Akiyama will be meeting Vitor Belfort for UFC 133. He said the verbal agreements are in place, and two of the most exciting fighters in the middleweight division will be meeting. That's going to be taking place in Philly um, August 6th. Uh, Akiyama and Vitor Belfort are on that card, Jorge Rivera and Alessio Sakara. Michael McDonald and Nick Pace, and a rumored fight that hasn't been announced yet between Ricky Fakuda and Rafael Sapo Natal. And De Silva clarified that UFC 129 will be starting at 9 o'clock, so adjust your schedule accordingly, folks. And in the last bit of UFC 129 news, both Jake Shields and GSP were interviewed uh, regarding the media attention surrounding their fight. Jake Shields said that he he has been it's been a little bit of a tough time in regards to getting up at seven in the morning to do interviews because it's four in the morning on the west coast and that's a little bit ridiculous but he has been you know he focuses on putting his training first and he's squeezing his interviews in between training he hasn't missed a training session because of it and he feels that that's what matters gsp when asked about the media pressure he said it's bad because it messes up your sleep time but when you're a champion you have to be ready to make the sacrifice people forget that sometimes what pays us are the fans and the fans want to know what's going on with us it's not fun but we have to do it i i respect that those comments from those guys because it is true even when speaking to fighters for for here i take into account time constraints and time differences that may or may not affect the possibility of talking to these guys and you got to respect that if they're on the east coast and they want to come on the show you have to make the the correct adjustments same thing when they're on the west coast same shit especially with the with the three hour time difference i can see especially for a guy like jake shields that's called to do an interview at 7 a.m uh east east coast time that, it, that he has to wake up at four in the morning it has to definitely affect them a little bit will it affect this performance we will find out next weekend. All right, I'm going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we will be talking some wrestling right after this. You know those shows where they play video game music and they laugh in like really high voices like... <laughs> Well, you won't listen to that on our show, because uh, we don't have the budget for that kind of thing. We're broke as hell. And uh, nobody really cares that much to laugh that hard. So um, if you're looking for a show like that, that has horrible audio quality, 
and uh, Void of Fake Laughter, Video Game News Radio, 11 p.m. Tuesday nights on All Games. I was originally going to play a wrestling bumper, which I had set up, but since the audio quality, again, is a little suspect from the mixer, well, not from the mixer, but from the iPad, I didn't want to fuck up the show by playing a a sound drop that sounded like utter shit. So let's discuss some wrestling. PNA Lockdown was this past weekend, and I I will go on record as saying that it was a solid outing for TNA. There were a couple of matches that were suspect. Um, Let's get right into it. The TNA X Division title's number one contender's escape match had Chris Saban, Robbie E., Jeremy Buck, Max Buck, Amazing Red, Jay Lethal, Brian Kendrick, and Suicide. There were a lot of great spots in the match. I can go through the whole match, but it'll definitely take a while because a lot of really great shit happened. Uh, Amazing Red did hit a Canadian Destroyer, which was very impressive, I must admit, so props to my boy Red for that. Solid, solid performance on his part. But they ended up going in a completely different direction, and Max Buck ended up winning. So given the fact that he's kind of play, you know, him and his brother are feuding, you got a a built-up feud right there, and to be able to challenge for the X Division title, I kind of feel that breaking up the the, um, Generation Me or the Young Bucks, depending on how you want to call them, is something that I think they're pulling the trigger on too soon, and with the wealth of talent in the X Division, you could have gone in a completely different direction with it. I feel that the Tag Team Division has needs more talent in there. You, right now, you just got, you know, America's Most uh, America's most Wanted. Um, Beer Money, Ink, Ink. Um, I guess you gotta say, you want to say Mexican America with uh, Anarquia and Hernandez. I don't know if they're going that route. You got uh, Gunner and Murphy with, with, the, what the, with Rob Terry, which you can kind of interchange those guys, which I guess are a tag team. But... The tag team division has kind of fallen by the wayside. You separated the Dudleys, uh, Motor City Machine Guns, Alex Shelley was injured. I don't know. There's a bit of a vacuum in the tag team division, and breaking up Generation Me, in my eyes, is a shitty thing to do, but this is TNA. They do a lot of shitty stuff. Next up, we had a tag team title, number one contenders, fatal four-way match. Just a four-way match. Fatal four-way is a nice WWE term that I threw in there by mistake. Shannon Moore and Jesse Neal, better known as Inc. Inc. Douglas Williams and Brutus Magnus. Eric Young and Orlando Jordan. Ugh, I bludgeoned his name. Orlando Jordan, sorry. And Scott Steiner and Crimson were your four teams involved in this match. If you look at this on paper, Young and Jordan... Two guys thrown together, not really a legit tag team. Like I said, there's a vacuum in that division. Steiner and Crimson, why did you put those two guys together? In the, there's no legit reason why those two guys are a tag team. Williams and, and Magnus, I can see from being part of the British Invasion, and Inc. Inc. is a no-brainer, but those are the two teams. are just guys that are thrown together, regardless of the fact that Eric Young and Orlando Jordan are your Santino and Kozlov of TNA. There's still just two dudes that are thrown together for comic relief and to kind of pad the tag team division. I don't think that the way they went with it was, was I don't know, I guess it, it wasn't the right way just because they're still teasing 
so you know they're still teasing a little bit of dissension between Ink Ink, but they did get the win. The match seemed a little bit disjointed. There were a lot of spots that looked a little awkward, and I don't know what the fuck was up with Taz that he he was fucking up a couple of calls too. And to quote on what De Silva said, De Silva said that Crimson and Red should be a tag team. Dude, it's a no brainer. You're booking those two guys as brothers, yet we've never seen them in a tag team match ever. You put Crimson with Scott Steiner. You put Red in the X Division match. You don't make them a tag team at all. Other than the one time that they were together, and that was just to set up bringing Crimson in, jack shit else has been done. And, uh, again, that wonderful TNA booking logic is at work. In the TNA knockout title match with Hair versus title with Madison Rain and, and Mickey James, very short match that Mickey James did win. Mickey James went into the match with a shoulder injury. I'm assuming they wanted to give the belt to Mickey James to make her a triple crown champion by winning the TNA, WWE, and Divas championships. I mean, it's great and all, but if she was injured going into that match, either scrap the match entirely, but the match was pretty much the equivalent of Sting and Jeff Hardy at the last pay-per-view. 30 seconds and forgettable at best. Samoa joined D'Angelo De Niro, continued their feud Pope, I guess this kind of, this kind of ends the feud finally with Samoa Joe choking out Pope. But where they go from there, I kind of feel that their feud dragged out a little bit longer than it should have. Than it should have. I honestly would have liked to have seen this feud end probably three months ago because Samoa Joe is desperately needed in the heavyweight championship division. And I would also focus on probably putting D'Angelo De Niro going after the possibly the TV title, if it's even used anymore. Not to say that he should use the X Division, but at least the TV title would be um, a great belt for D'Angelo De Niro to go after. Matt Morgan and Hernandez was next. I guess they finally closed out this feud with Matt Morgan uh, obtaining the victory with the carbon footprint on Hernandez. Afterwards, the Me- Mexican-American faction cuts a bit of an anti-U.S. promo, and, you know, Velvet Sky comes in, we get a little bit of a run-in, you know, everybody fucking jumps out of their seat, because, you know, Velvet Sky comes out, and the guy's like, oh my god, tits, woohoo, like, they've never seen him before. Next up, we had our two out of three falls ultra males match, with Jeff Jarrett and Kurt Angle, I gotta tell you, I didn't expect it, but it was a fucking awesome match, first one, uh, it went pinfall, uh, submission, uh, first fall was submission, second fall was pinfall, third, you had to escape the cage. Just really great work. Kurt Angle, varied offense in there. Jeff Jarrett as well. Jeff Jarrett broke out a, uh, a figure four leg lock. We had a, a, an awesome T-bone suplex from Kurt Angle that was there. Definitely a lot of crazy spots. Kurt Angle even broke out an RKO, which of course led to a lot of shit on Twitter because Kurt Angle of, of, of Randy Orton used the Olympic slam, and I believe at one point he used the ankle lock as well, if I remember correctly, and that caused a little bit of a beef. Of course, Kurt Angle's Twitter was quote-unquote hacked, and some disparaging remarks were made about Randy Orton using those moves. So, as a show of quote-unquote respect, Randy Orton decided to use the RKO. Very childish, complaining about who's using whose moves. How about this? Diamond Dallas Page used the Ace Crusher, better than both of you guys, and Johnny Ace was the guy that used it first. So, 
Neither one of you guys can lay claim to that fucking move. The third fall of the match was the real had the most crazy spots, including a moonsault from Kurt Angle, where I actually thought he was dead because of the way he landed. Uh, Kurt Angle, I'm a huge fan. Love when he goes out there and gives it 110%. But this is the same guy that said that he was the face of TNA when I discussed this last week. You shouldn't really be going out there if you're the face of TNA and killing yourself in the ring. You had a ton of great spots. That moonsault, I don't know if the landing was planned that way, but, dude, you almost fucking bodied yourself. I don't know what the fuck is wrong with you there. But, hey, I think that hopefully this feud is over. Based on what I saw on Impact this week, they're continuing it. Please close the book on this shit. Kurt Angle's another guy that can be challenging for the heavyweight title. You're, you're having him in this placeholder feud with Jarrett. I personally could give two shits about it because they're feuding over a woman. And sure, there's, a, there's been some, some great moments, but the majority of the moments other than this match have been utter shit. Your TNA world title match with Sting and Mr. Anderson and Rob Van Dam was actually not bad. I was very... Very impressed, but I really expected Anderson or Rob Van Dam to get the belt. That was not the case. Sting ended up retaining in a nice anticlimactic fashion with a Scorpion death lock. Actually, with the Scorpion death drop. Again, why are you continuing to keep the belt on Sting? His wrestling is passable at best. If you really want to do something different with the organization... Put the belt back on Van Dam or on Anderson because those guys, they're younger. They can do different things for your organization, and it shows that you want to take it to the next level and push it in that direction. I'm not telling you to go out of your way and put the belt on Matt Morgan or Orlando Jordan to set yourselves apart, but Anderson and Van Dam are great championship-caliber guys. They have good mic work. Rob Van Dam can work really well with a lot of guys to make great three- and four-star matches. Anderson on mic work alone is, is a gift to have. His offense has gotten a little bit sloppy as of late, but I think it's only because it's, a, it's part of his character now, so he wants to be kind of reckless, a little bit of stone cold in there, but a little bit more crass in regards to how he presents himself. You know, no beer swilling, which, you know, it would be a blatant, a blatant steal from Stone Cold Steve Austin, but that anti-authority vibe that Anderson has, people get behind very easily. So, hell, I'm a fan of the fact that he calls himself an asshole on national television. I respect that. You want to know why? Because I'm an asshole. So things like that, little, little things like that make the character better. And to build your, your heavyweight division around guys like Anderson and Rob Van Dam is the way to go. Hell, AJ Styles, Rob Van Dam, and Mr. Anderson alone would have a really great feud. You want to throw a guy like Samoa Joe in there, Kurt Angle. Imagine Samoa Joe and Rob Van Dam given a championship-length match with Rob Van Dam defending against Samoa Joe. Those guys had a really great match before, and I'm sure that the chemistry between them would be great, and it should fucking happen. It really should. This whole Sting having the belt and Hogan and the network, this shit is getting really old really fucking fast. The lethal lockdown match with Daniels, Kazarian, Rude, and Storm against Ric Flair, Matt Hardy, Abyss, and Bully Ray was a solid way to close out the match. There were some really great spots in there, including Matt Hardy fucking being killed. 
Uh, Bully Ray also getting his ass beat, and we also saw the return of AJ Styles, which was not unexpected, but a nice way to close it out. Fortune did win the match. It was uh, uh, fantastic. It got a little chaotic, a little bit sloppy, but guess what? It was never boring. Christopher Daniels is the fucking man, and any organization that has him should make sure to use his talents to the fullest. Fuck. Why don't you put Christopher Daniels in it in some championship contention? I think he'd be a great guy to involve in a feud with a Mr. Anderson or a Rob Van Dam. A Christopher Daniels and Rob Van Dam match alone would be fantastic and definitely pay-per-view quality. So, like I said, not the worst fucking event from TNA, but could have used a lot more improvement. On the Monday Night Raw side of things, the R-Truth heel turn was the first thing that jumped out with John Morrison and R-Truth for the spot in the Extreme Rules main event. R-Truth, of course, turns post-match, beats up Morrison. He, he decided to smoke and this whole big shtick with the water bottle. The R-Truth heel turn was cringeworthy only because it was so random. You have a guy like R-Truth that hasn't been involved in anything main event, we- main event worthy in a while. You bring him up into the main event. You turn him heel it was in, in what was one of the most awkward turns I've seen in a while. It just looks so forced. I mean, R-Truth has been a great heel in TNA, but this particular heel turn was fucking horseshit. Evan Bourne and Dolph Ziggler was your second match. Bourne didn't even get an entrance. He's getting the fucking jobber, the jobber entrance. We get a new and improved Dolph Ziggler with a new haircut and dark hair. I guess they're trying to revamp his character, which a lot of people were saying he had a lot of the Mr. Perfect persona in his character. I don't know what direction they're going, but Dolph Ziggler doesn't need to be tweaked and changed. I think he was perfectly fine. If you've got to change anybody, change fucking R-Truth or change Kozlov, or some of these other guys that are just fucking saddled with these shit gimmicks. Don't change Ziggler. There was nothing wrong with him. Seeing Kata and Alex Riley was a match where I expected it to go one-on-one, and again, I was expecting it to be a a botch match, because I I have zero faith in Alex Riley being able to work with seeing Kata's wrestling style. Luckily for us, the GM decided to make it a tag match with John Cena and Sin Cara against Alex Riley and The Miz. A couple of fuck-ups again from Sin Cara. I don't understand what they're expecting from this guy since he never learned the WWE styles. Of course, the internet all of a sudden fucking jizzes in their collective pants. Like, you see, he should have fucking gone to the minors, man, and learned the WWE style. He fucking sucks. Blah, blah, blah. They just want to sell merchandise. Look. I do agree to an extent. Sin Cara could have taken a couple of weeks while they were playing all those stupid video promos and learned the WWE style. But it's also the fact that they want him to have this exciting offense that none of these superstars are prepared for. Like you're putting him in a match with Alex Riley and The Miz, which in my eyes, neither one of those guys has ever had any sort of a Lucha Libre style match prior to WWE. I could be wrong. If I am, by all means, feel free to correct that. But I just feel that Sinkata style doesn't gel well with the WWE roster because they, they, they're not prepared for that. And you can make all the comparisons to Rey Mysterio you want. Rey Mysterio wrestled in WCW, came to WWE, learned the style, and transitioned well. The Lucha Libre, we really haven't seen 
Rey Mysterio do a shitload of Lucha Libre in a long time. On the contrary, he does more of a hybrid WWE style with some Lucha Libre spots, which are passable at best, given some of the injuries that Rey has had. But to sit there and shit on Sin Cara without looking at the big picture is really disingenuous to the guy. I think that they should give him a little bit of seasoning. Maybe have him attack backstage. Couple of weeks. The guy's a veteran. He could probably take three weeks and learn and adjust his style to work with the WWE, you know, with WWE superstars. It's. I'm just a little bit torn as to how I feel about his character in general because there's really no story for him. He comes out. He's in this match with Alex Riley. He doesn't talk, which is fine. You want to keep a little bit of mystery to his character, but his random attacks on different superstars, you need to do something with that. Like if he attacked Sheamus that first week when he debuted, then he should have been feuding with Sheamus. This would allow him to work with a guy who has more of a strong style Verse, and, and it would also be a learning experience for Sheamus. It's not like Sheamus is a piece of shit in the ring. He's very solid. So it would have just been a great way for, you know, two different styles to clash, but also for two different performers to learn from each other. The, this Sin Cara experiment, I'm not a fan of the fucking trampoline. This guy's going to break his neck one day. And I'm also not a fan of people just ripping the guy apart without looking at both sides of the story. Nikki Bella and Eve Torres was exactly what you would think it was, a complete clusterfuck. Eve Torres ended up winning with a roll-up. We get more Michael Cole shenanigans with Jerry Lawler where he gets knighted and he makes them kiss his feet. I'm tired of this fucking storyline. I'm tired of Michael Cole. I'm even tired of Jerry Lawler. It just sucks. Santino Morella and Sheamus was a complete squash match. They're pretty much doing a storyline with Sheamus just wanting to have matches against guys that have, quote-unquote, embarrassed him in the ring. This happened with Evan Bourne. It happened with Santino. I really am seeing it probably lead towards Sin Cara, but given WWE's writing as of late, who the fuck knows? CM Punk and Randy Orton closed things out. They didn't have the same amount of chemistry they've had in the prior matches. I don't know if it was because they were looking added to bring back the other members of the Nexus, but I don't know. It just didn't feel solid. Something was missing. I don't know if it was because they had such a great Mania match, but it was a, a passable match, but not something on the level that we'd expect from both of these guys given the length of their feud. Overall, Raw was... I wouldn't say it was terrible. It wasn't complete horseshit. I'd say middle of the road. So... Let's get into the rest of the wrestling news. The American Airlines Arena website announced that The Rock will be on Raw for the May 2nd edition, since Raw will be live from Miami, which we all know is The Rock's hometown. He will probably be there to build some more hype for WrestleMania 28, and we're going to lead a lot more of that hype machine, especially with what's going on with setting this main event a year in advance. So... That should be a great Raw for sure, May 2nd. I'm sure there'll be a memorable moment or two involving The Rock. Here's something that, when it comes to wrestling, this is just not the way to go. WWE announced that they have hired Tom Cassiello, who is the winner of several Daytime Emmy Awards, for writing for, for a writer's position with the WWE. He wrote such great shows, at, like As the World Turns. In addition to that, he worked on One Life to Live and The Young and the Restless. So let me get this straight. 
WWE goes out, hires for their creative team a guy who spent 10 years working on soap operas, probably has zero experience in wrestling, zero, and he will be a guy that will be writing storylines for the foreseeable future. One of the big gripes with WWE and even TNA at this point is the fact that both organizations just have really piss-poor writing that doesn't pay attention to continuity, that doesn't go out of their way to make some of the most formulaic feuds. They, instead, they focus on the, the human soap opera, which is great because to an extent that's what wrestling is, but you're losing sight of the fact that if you have guys writing your product that don't know shit about your product, it's not going to translate well. It, it's not. You need guys that have at least a basic understanding of wrestling and understand the personas and the characters and the psychology that has to go on in terms of build-up to a match, cutting promos. Some of these promos that some of these guys cut are fucking terrible. That John Morrison and, and R-Truth promo during the beginning of Raw was shit. It was, it was, let me tell you something. I think fucking you watching static porn on, on an old cable box in the 90s would have been a better fucking source of audio than what happened in that interview, well, in that promo between Truth and Morrison. One, Morrison isn't that great of a talker. Not. Our truth is solid, but when he's too busy trying to be, you know, our truth fucking hip hop, I dance around and, you know, that's what's up, nobody is going to buy it. If you look at our truth's promo work when he was in TNA in the early going, you'll see that he is a solid, solid performer when it comes to cutting heel promos. As soon as he starts dancing and doing splits and fucking just just trying to just trying to be extra hood, he comes off looking like a complete jackass. He has about as as much street cred as crisscross with his character right now. It's not working. You want to take our truth and turn him into you know some real hardcore dude? Lose the hip hop gimmick. Lose it. Then maybe. We can, we can go in that direction and do a little bit more with his character. But while you pigeonhole him with a stupid what's up and getting rowdy, because that was another gem that he had way back when, getting rowdy, which was absurd, then maybe we can see something. But hiring soap opera writers, not the move, guys. Not the fucking move. If you've been watching Raw the last few weeks, you've been seeing video uh, vignettes for the impending debut of Awesome Kong. She will be known, according to PW Insider, as Karma, K-H-A-R-M-A. The trademark was filed by WWE on April 12th. So that is what allegedly is going to be her ring name. So the only fitting thing about that is if they go with the obvious, and that's that Karma is a bitch. Because you can actually make a good shirt with that and, and, and some really great merchandise. So if you are going to go that route, definitely I can see that. But if you just couldn't do it because you couldn't find a name for her, then that's stupid. But if you build it around something where you you kind of dance on that on that line between PG and not for PG to do shit with her character, I can see it definitely taking off for sure. The last bit of wrestling news I want to close out with are a little bit sad. 
only because it's it's something that's been going on for a lot for a long time now. I, I really want to say years, and it involves Scott Hall. A couple of weeks back, I said that Scott Hall was hospitalized because he had some reactions to some medication, and um, you know he's been fighting a lot of demons over the last few years, and it's very sad to see what's been happening to Scott Hall, only because he is a uh, he's a really great performer. So to see him going that route um, is unfortunate. And I just realized not to go off on a tangent completely, but it is twelve o'clock, which means that it's. It's Friday. So if you heard the Rebecca Black sound effect, you now know that it is indeed Friday. And I'm sure Slick got a laugh out of that. He probably spit out his fucking orange juice or whatever he's drinking right now when he heard Rebecca Black scream that it's Friday on MTR. And yes, don't adjust your radio because you did hear that she did say it is Friday. <laughs> In the immortal words of Slick, it now says that I hate you and I will rape your soul. That obviously means that he heard it, and it probably means that it came out crystal clear. <laughs> Moving on. I had to break up that, 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 this story with Scott Hall by throwing that in there, especially because it was 12 o'clock. Kevin Nash wrote uh, a really impassioned statement regarding Scott Hall. Scott Hall, like I said, has been ill as of late, and I want to read you guys Kevin Nash's statement only because it's, it's, it's really a, a glimpse into a very, very tragic down, uh, downward spiral for a guy who, who was a great performer that I watched growing up. He wrote the following. Over the last few weeks since the horrifying New England appearance of Scott Hall, my Twitter page has blown up with pleas to help Scott. First of all, nobody has to ask me to help Scott Hall. I consider Scott like a brother. He's much more than a friend. I've spent more time with Scott Hall in the last 18 years than I have with my wife of 23 years. We have no secrets. This is real life. Nobody knows what Scott Hall has gone through since early childhood to what he has gone through up to this point except for me. I can tell you Scott Hall has neither a drug or alcohol addiction. Scott's problem is that he suffers from post-traumatic stress disorder. Drugs and alcohol aren't the problem to Scott. They are the solution. He is a fragile and broken human being, not a racehorse that you can take a whip to to perform. Scott Hall is in bad shape, and each time I talk to him, I feel like it may be the last. It's gotten to the point where I save his voicemails, much like I would have saved Andrew's. He was referring to Test. Because I know sometimes when I heard his message, it would be the last. The media will want to blame wrestling when Scott passes. Scott was broken way before he broke into the ring for the first time. While I admire what Kevin Nash is saying, I do feel that it's it's unfortunate what's going on with Scott Hall, just because wrestling is in a way to blame. And I'll tell you why. A lot of these guys, they go on the road, and I want to break down my views on the wrestling business, and I'm sure whenever I have Amazing Red or any other pro wrestler on there on the show next, I'll go into it a little deeper Pro wrestling is living out a childhood fantasy to the grandest scale. You go out there, you perform in front of millions of people, you see tons of fucking countries, you see tons of fucking states, and to be able to perform at an optimal level, you have to engage in, in some vices. 
it happens, whether it's drugs, whether it's alcohol, whether it's, you know, fucking around on the road. This shit happens. I, it's almost akin to rock stars. You know, when, when, w, when WWE performers are on the road and, you, and they get hurt, they know that the business is built on them being able to perform night in and night out. These guys get hurt. They're off television for a few months. They get forgotten at the drop of a hat. They have to embrace the dark side to stay injury-free. And this leads to chemical dependency. It leads to other issues which have killed tons of performers because they end up becoming addicted to these painkillers or they end up, you know, abusing cocaine and alcohol just to be able to, to level out because they're on the road so much and it's the business, the business, the business. It, it does affect you. Now, Scott Hall is a unique case because he was in that, that period where, where they were still out there partying and boozing it up and, you know, having hotel rooms full of chicks and, and wilding out. Wrestling now is a little bit more, I, I really want to say not tame, but a little bit more open, only because there's always somebody with a camera, there's always somebody that's leaking information. Back then, before the Internet, these guys were out there drinking, partying, fucking chicks left and right, coming out coked up, wasted, and nobody said shit about it because it, it wasn't out there the way it is now. Wrestling has become so, so open that it's easy for you to get insight into these guys and the drug use and what's going on. When, when Shad Gaspard was on, he acknowledged that wrestling is very, you know, you have to protect your spot because you're here today and gone tomorrow. And that happened with Scott Hall. This guy has a great mind for the business. Everybody who's ever worked with him has said that he has a, he has a, a magnificent talent, but he has demons and he has issues. If he was damaged prior to that, you know, from whatever traumatic hand life dealt him, I, I can understand that, but you cannot truly remove wrestling out of the equation, and that's why I disagree with Kevin Nash's statement Wrestling is a, f a factor. If you look at some of these guys that died, we, we can go down the list. Chris Benoit, you look at his brain, fucking concussions. His brain looked like a fucking piece of Swiss cheese. Guys like Crash Holly, who committed suicide. Chris Canyon, um, you can go down the list. Most of these guys have either had been victims of suicide or drug-related deaths or health problems brought on by the onset of drug use all of which stem from them being performers, you know, being pro-wrestling performers. Jeff Hardy is a great example that you can see that is the darker side of wrestling slowly rearing its ugly head. The guy has a wife and kid, comes out in no physical condition to perform on television. The Internet fucking went ape shit about it. And this guy, I really want to look at Jeff Hardy and say that he has, a, he has issues, you know. He has demons and shit that he needs to handle. And to sit there and be in the public eye and watch your life fall apart, it's, it's very disheartening. You know, we sit here and we joke about, you know, Charlie Sheen and, and him being coked up and fucking all these chicks, but it's the same thing. It's that self-destructive lifestyle that some guys, they escape it, and it catches up with them down the road. You look at a guy like, like Lex Luger. Growing up, you remember Lex Luger, the Lex Express. He body slammed Yokozuna. The guy... By the time Miss Elizabeth died in his, uh, in his apartment, in his house, and they found all these drugs in his house, 
he, he was a complete shell of what he used to be. In addition to that, the guy had a spinal stroke. He was confined to a fucking wheelchair. He's a vegetable. For, for, for argument's sake. I mean, he's, he's a lot better off now, but again, guys like superstar Billy Graham, even Hogan, these, your bodies break down, and if nobody's taking an active involvement in getting these guys help, don't sit there and shed tears when they fucking die. It's, it's really shitty that the wrestling community sits there and they're like, oh, Scott Hall's a fucking druggie, Scott Hall's a fucking drunk, blah, blah, blah. You know, why isn't Vince McMahon helping him? Why isn't he? And and maybe he is. You don't know that. See, sometimes being too involved in, in your interests, like especially as a wrestling fan, you expect sometimes way too much, and you forget that these performers are still human. And they have their demons and they have their issues. And I really hope that Scott Hall gets better. I really, really do. Just because I'm tired of going to whatever wrestling website I read, whether it's 411 or Raja WWE or PW Insider, and reading the same shit, wrestler commits suicide, uh, so-and-so found dead, you know, toxicology reports will come out in a few weeks, and then when those reports drop, it's like, oh, yeah, he juiced or he was taking somas, or he mixed alcohol and painkillers. I'm tired of seeing that. Wrestling has evolved to a point where there's, there's so much more awareness to what's going on that it, we shouldn't have a wrestler die every, you know, before 100 days. Opie and Anthony, which I'm huge fans of, you know, they, they talk to a lot of wrestlers, and one of the guys on their show, which is primetime Sam Roberts, he, um, they have a running a gag where they reset a clock where they want to see if 100 days can go by without a wrestler dying. And you know what? It hasn't happened yet, and it's fucking tragic, man. It's, it's really fucking sad to see it. You know, a lot of these wrestlers don't make it till 50. Dark Helmet brings up a valid point, and, and the few that do, they're just, they're just wrecked, or they end up being penniless. Look at Edge. Edge is a great example. Edge had to retire because his body just couldn't take it. They said that if he would land the wrong way, the guy would be fucking paralyzed, which is nuts. It's fucking nuts. And Edge has gone on record saying that he used steroids at one point because he had to accelerate his, the healing process when he had gotten the spinal fusion surgery and he came back a little bigger than he should have. It, it, it's, a, it's a way of life that while it is very rewarding to those that are super popular, it's very detrimental to those that don't have the self-control to, to keep their bodies clean. And it's, it's sad, man. I wish, I wish Scott Hall the best, and it, it would really fucking suck to open up a, a, a website one day and, and read those, those, that ominous statement of his passing. So I hope Kevin Nash can reach out to him, and I, and I hope he can get through this predicament and, you know, get past all these demons. The guy is, a, is still a great performer, even now. He can come out and say, hey, yo, and people still eat that shit up just because the, the, the guy has it. He has that it factor that makes things, um, that makes people gravitate towards him as fans. It's a, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to beat it up because I, I can do a whole episode about drugs and wrestling, and at some point I may just because it's something that needs to be discussed further. But right now I'm going to take a quick commercial break, and when I come back, we are going to talk some video games right after this. I wonder what's on tonight, even. Tonight at 10 on your local news. I said to Jesus, Jesus, can you say this is the deal of the century, people? I'm telling you. 
So, Jason, uh, what, what, I mean, what, what are we doing tonight, tumbling with Tumbleweed, Tuesday nights at 10 p.m., blogtalkradio.com, Eastern Standard Time? Do you even know? Jason? Jason, are you there? crazy shit going on with video games, and I want to open up with a particularly interesting piece of news this week, and that is the following. The Federal Trade Commission announced earlier this week that in their undercover shopping survey, the game industry is doing a better job than any other entertainment industry in dealing with mature content. Only 13% of minors were able to buy mature-rated games from stores. This is down from 20% last year. The next closest on the list would be R-rated movie tickets at 33%. Since the year 2000, the game industry has been decreasing this statistic and keeping it the same every year. In 2000, it was up as high as 86%. Walmart allowed for 20% of the total underage game sales, while Target only sold 8%. Uh, Patricia Vance from the Software Ratings Board said the following, The strong support that the ESRB ratings have enjoyed from retailers is crucial, underscoring their firm commitment to sell video games responsibly. Now, Here's the thing. That's a great number at 13%, but, again, the lack of education of, for parents regarding ratings is huge. Unless employees and stores go out of their way to break down the ratings to, to parents, parents are going to go in there and buy what little Timmy or little Jimmy fucking wants, whether it's the next Grand Theft Auto or the next Call of Duty. And then these are the same parents that aren't educated and will go out of their way to say, I didn't know that my kids saw that. That's fucking terrible. Blah, 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 blah. And, and, and it sucks. It's fucking bullshit because you got to – that number, that 13% is, is, is nice because it's low, but it should be significantly lower only because the ESRB ratings are in your face all the time. Whether you go into Best Buy, you see it on the end of every end cap. When you go into GameStop, sure, there are a couple of kids that get over, don't get me wrong, and they buy mature-rated games because they go into the Targets and the Walmarts, the big box stores, where employees really aren't out there giving a fuck, and I can understand why they are the two retailers that definitely get yanked out, because I know it's not going to be Best Buy, and I definitely know that GameStop doesn't want to be caught up in that shit. Big box retailers need to make sure that there's some sort of a of a safeguard in place to allow kids, you know, to, to stop kids from buying these mature games. Not because they need to stop buying them, but because I'm tired of the game industry getting raked over the fucking coals because parents are fucking stupid. And I, I like what Dark Helmet said in the chat with regards to parents being gamers. They would know better. I agree 100%. Um, a great example is, is Bronx. Not only a staffer, but a, a good friend of mine. He has... His, his children, and he makes sure that he knows what his kids are playing at all times. He doesn't just blindly buy them shit based on what they want. He knows what his kids are playing. You know, Josh, who writes for our site, his daughter Maddie, he, he, he monitors everything she does. My own two sisters. I, you know, I make sure, regardless of the fact that they're handicapped, I do monitor what music they listen to, what programming they watch. I make sure that X, Y, and Z channels are blocked 
whether it's HBO or, you know, certain ratings are blocked on their channel, on their boxes, on their cable boxes, and even on the games they play and the music they listen to, because that's what we have to do as parents and responsible adults. Nisi brings up a great point where it has, where they should have a check ID. One of the things I particularly like is that if you go and buy a certain type of pharmaceutical in the store, they ask you for your driver's license and they scan it. Why can't they do something like that where you buy a game if you're over 18, where, it, you know, a red flag comes up and you scan your driver's license, boom, and you can go about your business. It's really that simple. That's the easiest safeguard, and I definitely got to throw kudos to Nisi for mentioning it because that's the easiest fucking way. You buy an M-rated game, you get to the register, it should automatically pop up, check ID. And the retailer should be like, hey, you mind showing me your driver's license real quick? I mean, if you're 65 years old and it's, play, it's painfully obvious that you're 65 years old, by all, by all means, you know, if you don't want to do it, fine. But if you're young, you should definitely be like, look, let me see some ID just to make sure. I think that that's the easiest way to do it. It takes two seconds. You pull out your ID, they scan it, and you go about your business. Easiest way. I, I, I admire the fact that the gaming industry has stepped their game up and they've got such a low number, but it can be substantially lower, especially for big box retailers like Target and Walmart that, are already, have, that already have safeguards in place when you're purchasing narcotics. Because if you go and you buy, you know, a Claritin or a Zyrtec, they will scan your driver's license. It's that simple. I, even even GameStop, you know, you go in there and they ID you. I've been ID'd for a couple of games. I, I, I can go on record and say that. And it doesn't even matter that I have tattoos or gray hair on some days. They look and they're like, dude, can I just see your ID real quick? And you know what I do? I acknowledge it with a smile on my face. You want to know why? Because that person is protecting their fucking job. So, again, kudos to the gaming industry, but big box retailers, you motherfuckers need to get on your shit. Because the fact that Walmart alone allowed for 20% of total underage game sales is ridiculous, considering how many fucking people work at Walmart. That's not to say that the quality of their employees is fucking awesome, but, you know, a little, a little red flag in a computer system goes a long way. It's easy as that. Another thing I got to vent about a little bit is these rumors, the rumor mongering with the Wii. Obviously, you, you've seen announcements all over the Internet. I, 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 it's not even worth me writing a post about it because it's utter bullshit. And it's the fact that the Wii is probably on its way out and that they will be a successor out probably in 2012. I'm tired of hearing about it. Until there's concrete evidence, the speculation and the bullshit, just I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm fucking sick and fed up reading it because half of that shit may be right, half of that shit may be wrong, and until then, let, let's concern ourselves with worrying about Nintendo putting out games on a consistent basis instead of giving us a $249 3DS paperweight or a Nintendo Wii that's collecting dust because the only good titles that come out are twice a year at best. I'm sorry, I had a discussion with Slick today over lunch regarding the 3DS, and I was 100% frank with him in the fact that I said, I'm like, look, the 3DS is nice, but you're paying $249 to play shit you've already played. It's like, yeah, I, I paid $250 so I can get migraine-inducing 3D while playing a game I already own. Sure, I told him, I can probably get the same effect by giving a homeless guy 50 bucks and telling him to hit me over the head with a fucking hammer. 
just because I can get the same fucking migraine-inducing effect that way. It doesn't make any sense to me that Nintendo would release a console without a solid first-party title. Same shit with the Wii. It's like, if you look at the Wii's library, it reads like a who's who of shitty games. Chicken Shoot. Uh, babysitting Mama. Fucking... You know, dogs with a Z, cats with a Z, fucking crossword puzzles, just, just utter shit. Like, some of these games, are, and, and we were discussing this, I discussed this with Josh as well, it's like, where is the approval process for this shit? Where is it? Where, you know, when I go before Nintendo, and I say, and I say to them, hey, I got a, a great idea for a game, it involves taking chickens and loading them in water balloons and throwing them at fat people. And Nintendo goes, hey, that's a great fucking idea. I really just want to take out a semi-automatic and spray the entire room because it's not a great idea, you fucking retards. It's not. It's stupid. And yes, I said retards. I can say it for a multitude of reasons. And sure, it's not politically correct, but I'm not regulated by the FCC. And if you're offended, turn the shit off and go someplace else. Moving on. I don't understand where Nintendo's quality control is. It's like, let's make a version of Jenga for the Wii. Let's make, at least if you told me, hey, we're going to do Oregon Trail, Carmen San Diego, um, and shit like that on the Wii, I'd, I'd expect it because it's a lot more casual. But some of these games are fucking horseshit. I wouldn't use a game, I wouldn't use a Wii game as a fucking coaster only because of whatever I'm drinking would get offended that it's sitting on top of shit. I'm serious. Chicken Shoot. Google, you know, do yourselves a favor, go to Amazon and look at it, and look at Chicken Shoot and ask yourself, who decided that this was good? And, and again, Nintendo is number one, and in discussing it with Slick this afternoon, I said the only reason that Nintendo continues to hold on to the portable uh, gaming slot at number one is because nobody's figured out a way to beat them in regards to releasing quality titles consistently. Let me tell you, if Sony put out a great piece of hardware and they release great games, not every fucking six months, but consistently with a, where you can say, hey, I bought an NGP, how many games do you recommend? And you can say off the top of your head 12 games or 10 games, then you're getting somewhere, especially in a, in a year span. But you're telling people, buy this 3DS, and you're going to play Pilot Wings, which we've all played, Rayman, and fucking Street Fighter. No, no original ideas. None. And then, oh, yeah, we're going to give you the Legend of Zelda Ocarina of Time, and you'll get boss challenges and boss battles, which are going to be totally brand new. It's a game we fucking played forever. Give us something different. Seriously. Same thing with Mario. Allegedly, I've been hearing that they're going to put out a great Mario game that's 100% solid, and I'm really looking forward to it. But at this point, when is that going to be? Probably in November. So... Between now and November, you're not really going to have anything good. Yeah, you're going to get, I think, The Legend of Zelda drops in June. June. The console came out in March. That means that it takes a three-month window to get, to get a good game. It, it's unfucking acceptable 
that people invested $250 to wait. What the hell, man? Like, I don't get it. I don't get the fact that they sit there and they tell you, oh, this, console's re this console is revolutionary and it's fantastic and it's going to do all this great shit, but you can't really enjoy it for another six months. You know, that's like dating a girl with the, with the expectation of sex, and when you finally get there, she's not even a virgin. It's, it's bullshit. It's the same thing. Nintendo is pretty much the, the virgin that got deflowered by the time you get to it. That's what the 3DS is. You get it. It's beautiful. It's pristine. It's untouched. It's fantastic. But when you finally stick it in, you realize that it's not all it's cracked up to be. That's what it is. The, the 3DS, Nintendo's virgin, that isn't. That's what I equated to. It, it's, it, I'm sure that people don't understand the logic in that, but think about it. You buy the game. You buy the console expect it to be blown away with mind-blowing graphics and beautiful 3D. And then you stick the game in, and it's like, oh, look, it's Rayman, the same fucking Rayman I played. Ow, my eyes are on fire. Fuck, my head hurts. So I paid $249 to give myself a headache? Fuck you! Stupid! And I'm sure that people are going to call me and be like, hey, you know, Rich, you, you're shitting on Nintendo. Look, I love Nintendo. It was a crucial part of my childhood. But like anything else, there is a limit. I have to call people out on their bullshit. I like Sony. Sony was a victim of the same thing. Look at our fancy hardware. We got no fucking games. The PS3 is finally picking up steam because other, other publishers are stepping up. But even Sony was a victim of that. The Microsoft isn't, though, because they, they always try to put out a lot of consistent shit. And the Game Boy, you know, you look at the DS, it's like you take away Pokemon, Phoenix Wright, Mario, a couple of solid RPGs, and you get the same thing. You know, Disney sing and dance and fucking, you know, Word World or whatever other shit they come out with. That's what you're seeing. You're not seeing a consistent span of great titles. I remember when I used to play Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis, there would be great titles immediately, immediately. Whether it was, you know, on Super Nintendo, I can say, hey, what are you playing? You had Super Mario World, Super Mario All-Stars, Killer Instinct. I remember even Fighter's Destiny was a big thing. Not Fighter's Destiny. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the arcade game on the Super Nintendo, WWE Raw. There was a great amount of games back then, and they came out within a decent span. You weren't waiting for a game three years where you would say, hey, look at this trailer. Guess what? You're not going to see it for six months. That's what's happening. We're, get, we're a society now of one or two great games and a ton of broken games. And when I mean broken, I don't mean broken in the sense of gameplay. I mean broken in the sense that, that we're going to omit omit 60,000 things and make you buy them all in order to enjoy the game at their fullest potential. It's, it's sad, it's unfortunate, and it's disgusting. And the fact that the, the, the gaming community and the gaming press are fucking sitting there circle-jerking each other about this brand-new Wii, which who, which who knows what the fuck it's going to be or when it's coming out. How about this? Worry about the shit y'all got, because right now it's floundering. 
And here's some of the rumors that have been coming out so far. And I'm going to share these with you guys because these are the rumors we hear with every console that's on the verge of going out the door. According to Game Informer and IGN, Nintendo should be announcing the Wii at or before E3. The console would arrive in 2012 with, eight, with HD graphics, which I told Slick can be 480p for, for, for that matter. You know, HD is 720 and 1080, but they could be like, oh, well, you can get 480p, or they might say, look, we'll give you 720. Shut the fuck up. IGN says that the console is going to be backwards compatible with all Wii games and will be significantly more powerful than the PS3 and the Xbox. Really? You guys said the same thing about the 3DS. Every game that I've seen on the 3DS looks like something that was created in fucking Photoshop. There's nothing mind-blowing about the graphics. Nothing that I've seen. You want to know an improvement in graphics? Here's, a, here's something that, that means improvement. If you play Angry Birds, regular Angry Birds or Seasons, and you haven't played Angry Birds Rio... Do yourselves a favor, play Angry Birds Rio, and compare how graphics are completely fucking different. Different. That you see an improvement. It's like I played the God of War trilogy from 1 through 3, and I saw the graphical improvement. I don't even think graphical is a fucking word. The graphic improvement, or that statement sounded like shit too, the improvement in graphics from God of War 1 all the way to God of War 3. You saw that time and, and work was invested into it. But no, you know, we got to put out Chicken Shoot. It's like I said with regards to WWE writing, and the same thing applies to Nintendo and their logic. It's like uh, Koopa Troopa approaches Bowser and says to him, hey, how about you shoot Mario with a rocket launcher and we can be done with it. And Bowser goes... He slaps the Koopa and tells him, look, stupid, keep painting smiley faces on bullets. Because that's what Nintendo does. Instead of coming in there and using their revolutionary technology and all the talent behind them, they just give us nuggets of greatness. Nuggets of greatness. That's what they do. Their, their, men, their mentality is exactly that. Why go in for the kill when we can keep drawing smiley faces on fucking bullets? And that's what they're doing. Nintendo's not going for the kill. They're too busy sitting at the top of the heap collecting money from the casuals. But you know what? At some point, the casuals are going to run out of casual shit to play. And they're not going to pay Nintendo $39.99, $49.99, or $59.99 for games that are subpar and mediocre. You want to know why? Because if you want enjoyable titles that are close to that graphically, you can buy a game on the fucking iPad or your iPhone or your Android device that are better. How the fuck does Angry Birds Rio have better graphics than games on the 3DS that you paid $249? It's disheartening and it's awful. Adding to the rumors for Nintendo, for the new Nintendo, according to a site called O1Net, the console is being codenamed Project Cafe. They're saying that the hardware is comparable to the Xbox 360, and it includes a three-core IBM PowerPC CPU. Allegedly, again, this is all allegedly, the controller is going to have a six-inch single-input touchscreen, which is going to have a front-mounted camera and a standard set of buttons. The controller is also thought to be able to function as the Wii sensor bar as well.
A lot of people are saying that these new that these rumors they they deserve to be looked at closely because they that this particular site gave accurate hardware specs for the NGP before it was announced. Allegedly also they were saying that Rockstar is already working on a new game for the system for this alleged project cafe. They feel that Nintendo is looking to get some of the hardcore market back with involving Rockstar with their upcoming console. Look, if Nintendo comes out with a good console, I'm all for it. Great. Congratulations. Brand new game. Woohoo. But guess what? Again, you can put a shiny coat of paint on anything. And if you don't have support for it in terms of games that people are actually going to want to buy, it's not going to mean a damn thing. Look at the PSP. Hey, you can play God of War your PSP. No one gives a shit. You want to know why? Too fucking late. Too late. And Nintendo at this point, really they should focus on growing the 3DS and planning on their next console instead of letting people rumor monger the fuck out of it. How about this? You plan your next console, you put out a couple of good games for the Wii, you focus on this fucking 3DS that doesn't have any good games for six months, and enjoy your spot in the portable market as number one, and enjoy your spot in the, in the console market as, you know, number two or three, depending on what time of the year it is. That's it. Because if you're going to give me a brand new console with no fucking games... You can go fuck yourselves. You can take a fucking Goomba, shine that fucker up, and stick it straight up your ass. And yeah, that's a rock reference, and I don't give a shit. Let's talk a little bit about the MPD numbers, which, of course, were released and weren't completely available because the MPD is too busy hiding shit. Nintendo had the stranglehold on the MPD numbers this month. Well, for the month of March. Pokemon Black... Well, Pokemon Black and Pokemon White were number one and number two, respectively. There were a couple of new games on there, Homefront and Dragon Age 2. In regards to system sales, the Xbox 360 sold 433,000 units in March, which earned it the top console spot. That's a 28% increase from last year. Of course, Sony and Nintendo's numbers were not available, but the 3DS did sell 379 units in March, which is 100,000 less than the DS when it launched, which means people are looking at the smoke and mirrors that's the 3DS and not falling for it. Let's talk about the top 10 games according to the MPD chart. Pokemon Barry White and Pokemon Rebecca Black were respectively 1 and 2, which, of course, with Pokemon Rebecca Black, it's only a no-brainer that we remind Slick that it's... But moving on, Homefront and Dragon Age were number three and number four. Call of Duty Black Ops was five. Lego Star Wars 3 The Clone Wars was six. Crisis 2 was seven. NBA 2K11 was eight. MLB 11 was nine. And Fight Night Champion was ten. Of course, Sony has to go and toot their own horn by announcing that they had shipped, not sold, shipped eight million move controllers. According to Bob McKenzie, the Senior Vice President of Merchandising for RapeStop, he said the following, Due to the demand for the PlayStation Move motion controller, we've been struggling to keep units in stock in our U.S. GameStop stores. Really, Bob? I don't believe that shit at all. I've walked in there and see fucking PlayStation Move shit all the time. 
The release also stated that the sharpshooter accessory had a 40% attachment with Killzone 3. Sony also announced that the PS3 had sold over 50 million units worldwide. Again, the PlayStation Move, I don't hate it. It's nice. It's cool. Do I think that it's deserving of all the fanfare it gets? No. You want to know why? Because it's not that awesome. It's okay. It's, um... I don't know. It's like what the... It's, it, the PlayStation Move is what the Wii should have been. Let's put it like that. In terms of, of graphics and, and titles that are available. You know, first-party titles like Killzone tying in with, with the PlayStation Move and actually doing it right are refreshing. But everything else, horseshit. Naughty Dog announced that Uncharted 3, the beta, is a few months away, but guess what? You'll be able to get access to it if you pick up Infamous 2 or if you're a PSN Plus member. The multiplayer beta will begin July 5th for all PSN Network members, but you can get early access, of course, if you're a PS Plus member or by buying Infamous 2. So if you are a huge Uncharted fan and you like playing the multiplayer, July 5th is your date. But if you do decide to pick up Infamous 2 or are a PSN Plus member, you will be getting a little bit more access. So keep an eye out on that. Shitting on Nintendo a little bit more, we all know that there's rumors that they're going to be dropping the Wii to $149. But it seems that Target, GameStop, Toys R Us, and Best Buy are pulling the trigger a little early. As of right now, or probably this weekend, they will be dropping the consoles to $170, which is, of course, a $30 decrease. The rumored Wii price drop is supposed to be happening mid-May. So if you are in the market for a Wii to collect dust in your home theater, you can wait until May and save yourself an extra 20 bucks by copying it for 150 In some PSP Go news, we can change the name to that P of that shit to PSP Stop because a blog post from Sony has announced that the PSP Go production has ceased. This actually coincides with an Amazon update from a few weeks ago that said that the handheld had been discontinued by the manufacturer. A Sony of America representative said that the unit is going, the company is going to continue to make shipments of the PSP Go, but they're not going to be manufacturing more of them. You want to know why? It's a fucking paperweight, and it stinks. Here's a, we got some what-the-fuck video game news. I, I really couldn't believe that I was reading this, but Telltale Games has a huge assortment of projects that they're working on. But this particular project, I could not fucking believe. Telltale Games is working on a game based on Law & Order Los Angeles. Mind you, Law & Order Los Angeles has only had one season on the air. So, let me get this straight. If, you, if I pre-order the game, do I get a complimentary rape kit and crime scene tape with it? Because seriously, who is playing this shit? Who? Yeah, man, let's go play Law and Order. I pre-ordered that shit like three months ago, dude. It's going to be fucking awesome. Who? Please, find me a person who wants a Law and Order game. Find them for me. Please, I'm, I'm begging you. I'm begging you to find them because they are fucking stupid. I don't understand 
why they would do some shit like that when there's so many other things that can be done in with with games that aren't completely asinine. No, we're gonna go with Law and Order because people want to see that shit. I, but I tell you what, old people are gonna dig it. They honestly will. And I actually got a great comment from a couple of old bastards regarding it, and they're pretty excited. They're here to fuck shit up. They are here to fuck shit up. That's what that is. I think I think that old people, law and order, why don't you just make a CSI game? Why don't you take Mark Harmon, put strands of his hair in every box? Why don't you do that? Pack that shit in there. Hey, pre-order this game now, and you get yourself Mark Harmon's hair. How about this? You get the, the tattooed girls, like, nipple piercing. Let's, let's do that, because... No one cares. This is a game that's going to collect a fuckload of dust. A fuckload. It's, it's, it's not even a joke. It's not even a fucking joke. I can sit here and really shit on this game, but I'd rather not. Because you guys can do a hell of a job for me. Let's move on. EA has announced that if you purchase the new Alice game, you will be getting access to the first one. With the online pass feature, when you purchase Alice Madness Returns, you'll be getting a brand new bonus, which is you'll be able to play the original Alice game. So, if you don't have the online pass and you buy the game used, you can still pick up the Alice game for 10 bucks, but you will need the disc to play it. And, of course, the big news, which has been going on the last couple of days, well, most of today anyway, and now into Friday, the PSN network is down. Sony said that the service is down for maintenance, and it may be a full day or two before we're able to get the service completely back up and running. They state, we are aware that certain functions of the PlayStation Network are down. We will report back as soon as possible, when we can provide you with more information. I, you know, I know that there are a countless number of you guys that are thoroughly annoyed at the PSN network being down. Some of you are saying that it's an attack by Anonymous. Let me tell you guys something. I'm not even fucking with those guys because they can just go and shut shit down. It's like, you know what, man? You can't hack our fucking system. We're going to find you, Geo Hot, and we're going to fucking rape you with an analog stick. And, Anon- and the guys from Anonymous wake up, and they go, hey, fuck you. We're just going to crash your whole shit. Why? Because we can it's it's insane. It's insane that it's come down to that. But I respect that Sony is at least acknowledging it. You know, sometimes there's there's certain companies that they don't acknowledge when shit is fucked up. Sony's like, yeah, our shit's fucked up. It might take a day or two. Which for those of you that played uh, bought the new Mortal Kombat, you're not able to play multiplayer. How about that? How about it? <sighs> But you can always get a little bit of single-player action in, right? Because nobody's really playing multiplayer on the PS3 anyway. Let's not fucking kid ourselves. I think that the number of PS3 gamers that are playing online versus the number of 360 gamers that are playing online is fucking a blip on the fucking radar. So, me personally, I'll turn on my PS3 and I'll continue playing whatever games, and when the shit works, it works. That's it. I'm not going to fucking sit here and piss and moan about it, but... It does suck for those of you that actually do play multiplayer games. All right. 
I need a drink of water, and I'm going to take a commercial break. When we get back, we're going to talk some movies, because there's a lot of movie shit to discuss. And the what-the-fuck movie news for this week, boy, are th- is it a gem. It is, it is without a doubt something that will induce a lot of humor and a lot of laughter for you guys, and I know you'll enjoy it right after this. The following advertisement is for VaughnStubbornRadio.com. VaughnStubbornRadio. We like news, we like current events, but we like the fucked up news and the fucked up current events. For Born Southern Radio, we talk about everything in entertainment. We talk about movies. We talk about music. Mostly heavy stuff. Have good mosh pitting. And because we're big fucking nerds, we talk about video games. <laughs> we're big fucking nerds. We love video games. Fuck's sake, man. <laughs> Rich loves the show. Yeah. Hey, Rich, you like the show, don't you? Yeah, man. Are you sure you like the show? <laughs> yeah, man. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Stop the music. Isn't Born Stubborn Radio one of your favorite podcasts? Yeah, man. Awesome. Okay, hold on a second. But I was just curious. I'm thinking about coming to New York. Awesome. You live in New York, right? Yeah. You think maybe I could uh, crash on your couch? Uh, In the predominantly Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Um, Rich, I love you, but I don't know what the fuck you just said. In the Asian neighborhoods, there's like fucking 20 of them shit. Exactly. Okay, I, I don't know what Rich is thinking, but BornStepInRadio.com is where you should be going right now. Here you get it! Have good mosh pitting! gunfire and an alarm because I want to talk about Michael Bay. It wouldn't be a movie segment without Michael Bay, especially with Transformers in the news this week. Ah, Michael, Michael, Michael. You're blowing shit up all over the place. You got, you know, minority Autobots. You got Devastator with giant nuts. Megan Fox with her fucking deformed hands just all over the place and you complaining that she sucks as an actress. I, I love you, Michael Bay. You are awesome. And, and I'm so full of shit when I say that. But I'll tell you what isn't crazy. Some of the statements he put out from his most recent interview, which are quite informative. I actually got a little bit of insight into what Michael Bay wants to do with this third Transformers flick. And I have a little bit of hope that it's not going to completely suck donkey balls. When asked about the pressure to succeed with this new third film, he says the following. You don't make that much money on you don't make that much money on a movie. It doesn't become the number one movie in America that year if people hated it. Yes, it might have gone south on the direction, but we were under the gun. There was a terrible writer strike, and it was a shit position to be in. We were under a tremendous amount of pressure. We had to write it real quick. A lot of people on the third film will check out and get a paycheck. 
I've been working every day for two years because I want to make up for the second one, and I want to leave this franchise the best that I can. When asked about the script for the film, he said, this one is a more mature storyline, definitely darker, more emotional. In the end, you will feel that the stakes are higher because it takes place in an American city. You're not disconnected with Egypt and the, period, and the, and the pyramids. I almost said in the periods. <laughs> I'm very happy with this movie, he says, though touching lightly on the story we can expect to see. He said the following. It's about a small group, and you'll follow them. There's no cavalry. There's not going to be any of that. They use the term Black Hawk Down to describe the scenario. We try to make the cavalry unable to come. It's more fun to watch our heroes in the epic ending with just a small group. It makes things more intimate. You know what? I'll tell you what. Using the writer's strike as an excuse for robot heaven, devastator having testicles, and, you know, the robot humping Megan Fox's leg... And, you know, the fucking Jigaboo Autobots that they had? Yeah, sure, blame that all on the writers. Because you guys, had, you had no approval on that, Mike. None. You just said, hey, Mike, we're going to make these two Autobots black. What do you think? Make sure you get that gold cap in the first shot. That's what he fucking said. Look, I admire the fact that he acknowledges that this movie is a piece of shit. Congratulations, Mike. Small victory for you. But to solely, solely blame it on the writers is stupid. Because when they wrote it, you read it. You could have read it and, said, and gone to the studio and said, Hey, guys, we read this script. Uh, you know, my, my kid can probably write a better script with a, with a fucking crayon. Let's let's not release it yet, and let's go back to the drawing board. But no, you wanted to get the fucking payday. You wanted the payday. You, the movie made a shitload of money, even though it sucked to most, and that was it. Let's not kid ourselves. You knew it sucked when it came out. You're like, this movie sucks balls. But fuck, it's going to make us a lot of money anyway, because people are suckers for special effects, and kids will eat this shit up. You know, and when when the robot is fucking humping the girl, Megan Fox's leg, all you heard was the chuckling of children. You want to know why? Because those are the children that are going to go and buy the shit in Target. Mommy, I want the robot that is on Megan Fox's leg. <laughs> That's the shit you're going to get. Congratulations, Michael Bay. You've been introduced to reality. Will Transformers 3 be the swan song that actually cements the franchise as being solid? Or is it going to be another abysmal piece of shit? I tell you what, July can't come quick enough. I posted on the Facebook fan page a picture of Shockwave, and it gave me hope. You know, he had a little bit of that purple tint. He still had that, you know, Michael Bay Transformer sharp metal look to him. But you looked at him and you said, yo, that's fucking Shockwave. You looked at him, you recognized it was him. Sure, it looks pretty, and it looks colorful, and, and the special effects are probably going to be great. But if the script involves robot heaven, it's going to suck. It's going to suck. How does a human die and appear before other Autobots? That's about the equivalent of me getting hit by a car and seeing the microwave I threw out five years ago, the TV that I got rid of, and the washing machine that's in a landfill appear to me right before I fucking croak. And they say to me, you know, you can go back 
and repair that other microwave you have and maybe clean the stove a little bit more. Do your laundry more often so that our ancestors don't feel so ashamed that the washing machine gets no use. Like, that's the kind of shit that makes no fucking sense. How do you die and talk to robots? How does that happen? Robot heaven should be, I unplug you and throw you in the garbage. That's it. What, let me, I really would like, I'd give anything, anything, to get five minutes with Michael Bay so I can ask him, dude, robot heaven? Really? Fucking boys to men, fucking hip-hop robots? Really? Like, that's, that's where you went? That's where you went. The guy from fucking Family Matters voiced, I think, one of them. Like, that, that's what Eddie Winslow does. What did you do? I was a nigbot. That's, that, that, when you look at Eddie Winslow's IMDB, it goes Transformers, nigbot. It, how does that happen? Michael Bay is so full of shit. Like I, like I said, I admire the fact he's like, yeah, the movie sucks. Fine, it sucked. But you know that when he looked at his bank account, he goes, I got paid a lot of money for a piece of shit. That's, that's what it was. That's like, that's like carrying a bag with Elvis's shit and selling it on eBay and somebody paying $150,000 for it. It's like, you know what? That's my $150,000 piece of shit. So Michael Bay sitting there going, you know what? That's my billion-dollar piece of shit that I'm still collecting money on. Seriously. That, that's what it is. No, Nisi, it's not Nickbot. <laughs> that's, that's not what it says on Eddie Winslow's IMDb. I'm only kidding. <laughs> but seriously, that Michael Bay needs fucking explosions wherever he goes. That's why I have to play explosions and fucking machine gun fire because it's the only way we can discuss Michael Bay from now on. Whenever Michael Bay is brought up, I'm going to just start playing explosions and gunfire because that's the only way that you can give him the, the proper send-off because there's no other way to look at it. Let's talk some box office totals. Screen 4 came out this past weekend, and I honestly expected it to be number one, but was not the case. Rio was number one. $40 million, huge opening. It, um, it's made a worldwide total of $168.2 million on a $90 million budget. Very successful. Screen 4 opened in second place, $19.3 million. They had a $40 million budget. Definitely see them start. Definitely I see them turning a profit probably before the, before I put it like this. Probably by the end of May, they'll probably break even. I'm not going to say that they're going to make $100 million, but they're going to definitely crank out a lot of money. But they have some really stiff competition coming up. you got Fast Five coming out next week. Then you got Four, which comes out May 6th. So I, I, I don't see Screen Four being a $100 million box office smash, but I see it making some respectable money. Hop dropped two spots to number three. It's made $82.6 million, uh, and worldwide totals at are 112. It had a $63 million budget. Movie is profitable. Soul Surfer was number four. Hannah was number five. Russell Brand's piece of shit Arthur was number six. Insidious was number seven, which is crazy because, and I want to reference Insidious for a second, the movie had a $1.5 million budget. It's made $36 million. I'd call that very successful. Source Code dropped to number eight. 
Robert Redford's The Conspirator dropped to number nine in a limited release. And Your Highness dropped to number ten, sixteen million dollars total out of a fifteen out of a excuse me out of a fifty million dollar budget. Damn, that's a fucking bomb and a half right there. In some other news, we got some Batman casting news to discuss. Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Marion Cotillard have officially joined the cast of The Dark Knight Rises. Uh, Cotillard will be playing Miranda Tate who is a Wayne Enterprises board member eager to help a still-grieving Bruce Wayne resume his father's philanthropic endeavors for Gotham City. Joseph Gordon-Levitt will be playing John Blake, described as a Gotham City beat cop assigned to special duty under the command of Commissioner Gordon. So, no Riddler for Joseph Gordon-Levitt, no Talia for Marion Cotillard, so I don't know where they're going with this, but so I like one particular description where somebody said it's Inception, the Batman version. And you know what? That's not necessarily a bad thing. So I'm gonna I'm gonna hold out judgment until it gets released. Marvel Studios Kevin Feige discussed already sequels for Thor and Captain America and said that he would like to see other Marvel properties get some screen time as well. In speaking with D23, which is the official Disney fan club magazine, he mentioned that he'd like to see Black Widow, Hawkeye, and Doctor Strange as characters who can get their own films. Black Widow and Hawkeye and the spy organization S.H.I.E.L.D., all of more all of whom are worthy and capable of carrying their own films. And from the fantasy side of things, Doctor Strange as well, there are many stories to be mined. When you look at all these characters that Marvel has, how about getting the characters that are out there now correct? How about not making a shitty PG-13 Wolverine? Let's start with that. How about not making an X-Men First Class where Mystique's forehead looks like the, about the size of my computer monitor because her hairline looks like the equator? How about that? How about we work on that first? How about we don't work on rebooting Spider-Man 20,000 fucking times and actually getting it right and sticking with it? Let's just stick to that stuff. How about not making a movie about the Punisher that is complete dog shit? How about not casting fucking Ben Affleck as Daredevil? How about that? Let's worry about that shit first before you want to make movies about fucking Doctor Strange and the Black Widow. I don't really think I could sit through two hours of a Black Widow movie. Scarlett Johansson is easy on the eyes, but her acting is fucking suspect. So please don't kid yourselves thinking that a Black Widow movie is going to be great. If you're expecting to see tits, it's not happening because it's probably going to be PG-13 and they're barely going to show anybody getting killed. So don't expect it. Here's something that I didn't expect to be discussing this week. Leatherface. They're working on a 3D Texas Chainsaw Massacre, aptly titled Leatherface 3D, which is, in, which is allegedly going to be directed by John Lucenhop, who did Takers for Lionsgate. It's going to be a reboot of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre franchise, with the story taking place decades after Tobe Hooper's film. Thus far, Adam Marcus, Deborah Sullivan, and Stephen Susco have worked on the script thus far. I tell you what, leave Leatherface alone. I love the Texas Chainsaw Massacre movies. Either they go on a completely separate tangent to make it really crazy, or they just make it totally campy and shitty. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre films have and always will be cult classics. Trying to remake them and trying to capture that magic is impossible. They failed with the reboot for Friday the 13th, which, while it was solid, definitely wasn't 
on par with the original. The Halloween Rob Zombie movies, they took it in a separate direction, so I have a different opinion on that because Rob Zombie tried to make the mythology his own for his version, which is fine. But to try and, re and reboot a character like Leatherface and expect it to work successfully, they're probably going to go with a lot of torture porn, shock horror shit, and people are just going to be tired of it. Leave it the fuck alone. Leave Texas Chainsaw Massacre alone. Nobody pays money to see shit like that. Stop it. I will tell you one thing, though. I am excited about what I read, that they're doing an animated version of Batman Year One, which is uh, an, you know, the, one of the classics written by Frank Miller, and it's fantastic. Um, they got already some announcements for voice talent. Brian Cranston is involved, Ben McKenzie, Eliza Dushku, and Katie Sackhoff. Cranston is going to be doing the voice of Commissioner Gordon. Um, ben McKenzie is going to be voicing Batman and Bruce Wayne. Eliza Dushku is going to voice Catwoman. And Katie Sackhoff is going to be the voice of Detective Sarah Essen, who's a Commissioner Gordon love interest. If you haven't read the Frank Miller Batman Year One and you're a comic fan, please slit your wrist now and turn off your computer because that is a must-read, solid from start to finish. 100%. Full endorsement. Also, Alex Rocco will be um, sh sharing his voice talents as the voice of Carmine Falcone. Definitely looking forward to an animated Batman Year One, only because DC has such a great track record with other Batman films. I know it's going to be badass for sure. Now, I'm going to veer off into a separate little thing, which is movie-related, but not something I usually discuss and it involves Tyler Perry and his feud with Spike Lee. Now, look, Tyler Perry movies are complete horseshit. They're the same movie every time. Dysfunctional family, dysfunctional African-American family, tranny old lady, uh, somebody who doesn't like somebody, and the mama brings them together, and Gabrielle Union is usually involved, and probably Boris Kojo, or any of the other atypical African-American actors that they could just toss into a movie. Because that's what happens. Tyler Perry wakes up in the morning. He goes, I want to make another Medea movie. Then he goes and looks through the nearest Jet magazine of every black actor and actress that he can throw in there, and he gives them all jobs. That's what happens. So, while... It's formulaic, it's successful. I can't hate on the guy because you know what? He makes the movies, people watch them, he gets paid. Easy peasy. What I took a little bit of issue with was Spike Lee shitting on him. Not because I don't like Spike Lee, I do, but why are you hating on a guy? He's not taking money out of your pocket. He's not taking food out of your mouth. Let the guy live. Sure, he likes to dress and drag like an old black lady. Leave him the fuck alone. Let him, let him rock. But, of course, Spike Lee has to be Spike Lee, and he has to talk that bullshit. And it was this. He says the following. Each artist should be allowed to pursue their artistic endeavors. But I still think that there is a lot of stuff out today that is coonery and buffoonery. I'm not even joking. He really said that. I know it's making a lot of money and breaking records, but we can do better. I'm a huge basketball fan, and when I watch games on TNT, I see these two ads for these two shows, Meet the Browns and House of Pain, and I'm scratching my head. We got a black president, and we got to go back to Mantan Moreland and sleep and eat? First off, 
the fact that Spike Lee is going out there quoting coonery and buffoonery is, is in a separate category. But there's a market for everything. Tyler Perry's movies, regardless if they're the same formulaic pieces of shit every time, have an audience. And you know what? They're not movies that make African Americans look like shit. I gotta be real. One thing that Tyler Perry does, he, he empowers African Americans, whether it's male or female in his roles. Don't get me wrong, they're formulaic, they're cookie cutter, and they're complete hot garbage. But you know what? There's an audience that appreciates that. How many of us watch fucking movies, watch porno films on Cinemax just for the laughs? I know some of you do. It's not Oscar-worthy filmmaking, but it's something to fucking, you know, detract your, you know, take away your attention for 90 minutes out of the real world. It, it is what it is. I, the all mixed up radio says that they make black men look like shit. But you know what? They do depending on the film, but at least it gives African American actors an outlet where they're not playing the atypical gangbanger or the or the crack dealer or the hustler or the, uh, yeah, sometimes they play, play the basketball player. I just look at it like that. Don't get me wrong, they the, the plots are, are are shitty, and I'm a hundred percent on board with that. But I just feel that they add they add a little bit more to the equation in, re, in regards to just making it look pleasant. Let's just put it that way. And, and Spike Lee, he's, he's jumped around, and he, he did the same thing with Clint Eastwood a while back, and he shit on Clint Eastwood. I don't know what Spike Lee is so bitter about because he's made a fuckload of money. I think that... If you want to go out there and set yourself apart from everybody, do something different. Spike Lee, he did when 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 he was involved with Malcolm X. I remember being in junior high school and cutting school to go see Malcolm X. It was three hours of my life that I have no problem giving up because it was riveting, it was well done, and it told a, a fantastic story that coincided and and did justice to the Alex Haley book. And and you know what? Spike Lee's done a couple of bombs, too. He has. It, it, you know, that it's weird. It's one of those things where Spike Lee makes great movies and then turns around and shits on the craft itself. Don't do that, man. So Tyler Perry, I guess he got tired of the bullshit. And, um, of course, he gets asked about it a lot. And his comments were pretty funny. He goes, I'm so sick of hearing about damn Spike Lee. Spike can go straight to hell, and you can print that. I'm sick of him talking about me. I'm sick of him saying, this is a coon, this is a buffoon. I'm sick of him talking about black people going to see movies. This is what he said. You vote by what you see, as if black people don't know what they want to see. You know, the guy's 100% right. If you don't like Tyler Perry movies, don't go watch them. If you think they suck... Don't watch them, but don't sit there and, and shit on the guy's craft. It's unfortunate. There's a market for everything, you know? If people can, can tune into sci-fi to watch Megashark versus Giant Octopus religiously and any of the other B-rated films out there that are complete and utter shit, fucking let them watch Tyler Perry movies. I don't like them. You know what I do? I don't watch them. I have caught a couple of episodes of Meet the Browns and House of Pain. They, they are amusing. But again... Not something I'm behind 
easy as that. But I figured I'd share that with you guys because it was something that that was interesting and, and a little bit of a departure from the norm. And Spike Lee is out of his fucking mind. He, he was at a Nick game with a fucking furry hat. So I don't know what the fuck his deal is. And the last bit of movie news, the what the fuck movie news of the evening. And I'm sure Dark Helmet and probably Nisi are going to get a chuckle out of this. The 3D porn film, Sex and Zen Extreme Fantasy, has broken the single-day box office record in Hong Kong set previously by James Cameron's Avatar. It made 2.8 million Hong Kong dollars, which tops Avatar's 2.6 million on opening day. The film is a remake of a 1991 Hong Kong porno by the same name. The new one features Japanese porn stars uh, Harris Saori and Suo Yukiko, as well as Hong Kong actress Vonnie Liu. The most explicit images are camouflaged out of the film. Producer Steven Hsu said, we've met people's expectations. People have always thought that you need 3D technology for this kind of content, so people are very curious. So... It's, don't even adjust your, your, your radio or your, your, your computer speakers. A porno that is in 3D broke the single box, the single day box office record held by Avatar. 2.78 million dollars. Or 2.8 well, million dollars, almost 2.8. Versus Avatar's 2.6. How fucked up is that? James Cameron is probably sitting at home and he probably read that and I am sure that he is going to send them an envelope full of anthrax because he's saying to himself how do, how do people want to look at titties instead of, of, of my Fern Gully remake? How's that possible? Oh, I want to watch people have sex instead of watching uh, some uh, a blue cat monkey stick its tail in a horse? Sure, why not? I don't understand how that happened, but it is hilarious. You know, think about it. Titties? Cat monkey sticking its tail in a horse's in a, in a horse's fucking ponytail? Or you know, random running around with a little loincloth and Jake Sully in a wheelchair? Or somebody getting pounded out? You decide. Gee, I'm going to put my money on the porno because Avatar is fucking fern gully. It, it, it's great. It's funny. You know, I watched Avatar. I enjoyed it. It had beautiful imagery, great technology. It showed a future for filmmaking, but this over-fucking-indulgence over that some people have that they're just like, Avatar is so fucking awesome. Like, especially like the people that are really into the shit, they go hard. They go hardcore. I love Avatar. It's such a great story. It's so deep. It had so many different parallels, and it showed racial undertones that exist in America today. Get the fuck out of here. Avatar was basically uh, an homage to don't fuck up the planet because little blue monkeys will fuck you up. Seriously. There's no hidden message. There's no ulterior motives. It's, hi, I'm a cripple. And I can walk on two legs by jumping inside this blue cat body. And Zoe Saldana has really big eyes. Seriously, like, like, what exact message did Avatar really have? 
And for anybody that sits there and, and, and says that it had a message, you were smoking some hardcore shit to think that. Avatar is a movie that is enjoyable, but you scratch the surface and go a little deep, and it's a movie that we've seen called A Thousand Other Things. And the fact that it lost out to a porno is very amusing to me. I find it very amusing strictly on the basis that it's a porno that's a remake of another porno. So not only did Avatar get clowned out by a porno, but it got clowned by a remake of a porno from 1991. It's like, you got clowned by a 10-year-old porno. How's that? Hey, Jim Cameron. Hi, my name is Steven Shui. Uh, listen, I wanted to tell you that uh, Sex and Zen was number one at the box office. Fuck your life. Click. You know, like, that's what it was. That's really how it goes down. They really clowned Avatar by having a remade porno just destroy its single-day box office record. And I think part of it was the fact that it was 3D. I'm sure that there were a ton of little Asian dudes in the theater jerking off to some 3D boobies. They were. Because I've seen a lot of crazy shit out of Japan between underwear and vending machines and guys running around freaking, you know, whacking off and spraying chicks at bus stops. I've seen some foul-ass shit. So me seeing this be number one is really not surprising. If you can buy schoolgirl underpants from a vending machine, you can have a porno that, out, that outgrows Avatar on a single day. Easy as that. It's disturbing, it's fucked up, but damn, is that shit funny. <laughs> I don't even, I can't even, oh man, I can't, I don't even know how to follow that up. But you know what? It's a wrap, folks. That wraps up the show for this week. Um, I don't think anything can top the 3D Avatar porno loss. None, nothing whatsoever. So let's wrap things up, shall we? You've just heard My Take Radio episode 88 for Thursday, April 21st, 2011. If you have any questions, concerns, or would like to be a, a guest on the show, email me at mtrhost at mytakeradio.com. If you're on Twitter, you can follow the show, show account. It's twitter.com slash mytakeradio. Or you can follow my personal account, twitter.com slash akuma25, A-K-U-M-A, the number 25. If you're on MySpace, look for it on My Take Radio. Last but not least, Facebook fan page. Well on our way to 1,000 fans. Stop by, show your appreciation, hit that like button, and show your support. And, of course, you can pick up our apps on Android and in the iTunes store as well. And last but not least, make sure to check out some of these great and exciting sites from some of our past guests and our friends. Uh, KungLee.com from our guest Kung Lee. YouTube.com slash the team takeover for Bloodstain Lane. The crew from Future Endeavors, you can listen to their show Sundays at 10 p.m., I believe, on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can head over to future-endeavors.com, or you can also head over to fatmanafterdark.com as well. Got to give a shout-out to GamerFitNation, DualShockers.com, the crew from VGN Radio, VGNRadio.com kicks ass. Uh, Born Stubborn Radio, check those guys out. Head over to BornStubbornRadio.com. The ladies from Girl Gamer and Gaming Angels for supporting MTR. Always check their respective sites out. MMAGospel.com every Wednesday 
at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can also hit them up at MMAGospel.com. Our content partners, This Is Wrestling's Podcast, and our buddy MMA Valor, you can check out their respective sites in the link section. And, of course, MMA Valor has a chat on his site for every fight that happens, regardless of the organization. You can partake in those chats by heading over to MMAValor.com. Last but not least, Tumbling with Tumbleweed, Don Anderson show, Tuesdays, 10 p.m. on the Blog Talk Radio Network. You can get information for that. Cleveland Sports Radio, Midwest Wasteland, and VGN at VGNRadio.com. Our buddies at 411 Mania for their, wrestling, for their wrestling news, MMA Junkie for their MMA news, obviously, FilmDrunk.com for their funny-ass movie news, and that's pretty much it. I am going to close it out by letting Slick know and reminding him that after 12 o'clock, it is... That's it. No more fucking around with Rebecca Black. You can uh, have some laughs with that when the show gets archived, and feel free to isolate that sound effect and use it at your leisure every Friday. All right, that's it, folks. What music is going to take us out this week? I have no idea. I will tell you one thing real quick before I leave. Next week, I will be visiting Blog Talk Radio headquarters. And I will be voicing my opinions on their service, good, bad, or otherwise. Until then, the outro music that's going to take us out this week is the Ryu, st- the Ryu Stage, Satsui no Koto by Zircon and Josh Morse. You can get that on the OC Remix Heroes and Villains official soundtrack by heading over to ocremix.org. Catch you guys next week for the UFC 129 panel with uh, Pure Fight Gear, MMA Gospel. See you guys next week. Peace. I'm out.